Words are the new weapons, so by all means, listen to ours as we present to you episode 0018 of A Review Two-Way Kill, our podcast series about the James Bond franchise coming to you from fanboysanonymous.com. This Sermon on the Mount is about Tomorrow Never Dies, the second into Brosnan era, released December 16th, 1997. I'm Tony Mango, and I'm joined by my golden retrievers. First up, Robert E. Felice. Don't ask. <laughs> Don't tell. And Callum Wiggins. I want full newspaper coverage. I want magazine stories. I want books. I want film. I want TV. I want radio. I want this podcast on the air 24 hours a day. Was it something I said? <laughs> uh, before we get started, let me remind everybody the same kind of stuff that we've got going on here. Of course, not only are we going to give you our opinions about the film, but we want to know what your opinions about the movie uh, happen to be. So drop a comment below, particularly on the YouTube side of things. And while you're there, hit the like button, hit the share button. If you want to pass this around on social media or you want to you know, drop it in a subreddit, pass it over to a friend you might think might be interested in the series, whatever it might be. If you're not subscribed already to the channel, go ahead and follow. Hit us uh, up on Facebook and Twitter. Help us grow by donating to the Patreon or hitting the join button on YouTube as well, because the more support that we get from you guys, the more content that we can bring you, the better content, the better audio quality, video quality, you know, maybe do these as like actual videos instead of just our voices, different things like that. So dollar a month, a bargain for promoting something that, you know, can make it even better. And that also includes the things that are happening afterward, because yeah, I'm going to try to look into trying to record stuff for playing the GoldenEye video game online with these guys and, you know, all these other kind of different things. Also, helps fund the things that are outside of A Review to a Kill. So if you want more fanboys content that isn't just the James Bond stuff, you want more fan tracks, you want more tournament stuff, you want uh, another Mount Rushmore, you know, there's the Pick Your Poison tier, there's all the different kind of things like that. So just, uh, you know, share your support. Help us out. Hit the like buttons and the follows and the shares and the subscribes and the donates and the blah, 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 blah. You know the score. So what we usually do here when we get things started is we talk about the titles. And let's start with the foreign titles. A lot of variations of Tomorrow Never Dies, of course, because that's what they're trying to go for. None of them super duper weird. We're not getting like James Bond and the space rocket to tomorrow or something like that. There's a Bulgaria has there will always be tomorrow. Croatia has he never dies tomorrow. I guess it's the next day is when he dies. After all, you only live twice. So, you know, Uh, Estonia has eternal tomorrow. Hungary has in the hands of tomorrow. And Romania has 007 and the empire of tomorrow. Have to say it in the, the voice from Futurama. Uh, Working titles for this. I have no idea where they were going from with these. None of them are close to Tomorrow Never Dies. I'm going to give you guys a a chance to do the guessing game. Toss me a working title you think might have been for this one. Outside of like Bond 18, because that's always (laughs) the first one. Um, I'll go with Bad news. <laughs> no. <laughs> Actually, nothing uh, news related at all, funny enough. Oh, Re- really? Okay, so that changes things. That's where I was thinking. Um, uh, James Bond, 
I I don't know James Bond versus the media, James Bond versus <laughs> the world. I, I got I got nothing. You would think it would be something, you know, like maybe the production title is like media coverage or you know, so like they usually do that with a lot of movies where uh I forget which uh I think it's The Dark Knight was Rory's first kiss was like the production title for that. Star Wars has Blue Harvest, that kind of thing. Apparently the working titles Avatar. So imagine that. One of these scripts got in the hand of James Cameron and he was what? <laughs> That's a good thing, actually, because Titanic actually beat this one out. So that was yeah. <laughs> Equator spelled with an A. Like Aqua Tour. No. no. No, yeah. Zero wind chill. <laughs> There's Better nothing weather related. <laughs> Zero wind chill factor kind of thing or something? Like we're gonna get the, the weatherman pops up and that's Bond's well, villain. Maybe the weatherman was the villain at one point in the movie. He's just like, you know, ha ha ha, it's going to be a chilly reception today. And like, it's just kind oh, of fun. They originally cast Arnold Schwarzenegger. Yeah. Right? <laughs> <laughs> the ice thing. Yeah. Ah, James Bond. Uh. <laughs> Imagine that. Oh my God, I want to see that now so bad. Him in like a chair stroking a cat, just being like, my name's Blofeld. I'm going to kill you, Mr. Bond. <laughs> Are you delicate, Yeah. In stainless steel. <laughs> there was also Shatterhand, which was the uh, villain from You Only Live Twice that they never used. So I think it's You Only Live Twice. Now I'm blanking on that. It might not be. Um, I, I don't know why they haven't used it yet. I think that they'd be kind of cool, but nah, it's not my favorite when it comes to titles. I don't usually like when they go with like Goldfinger, or Moonraker, or Thunderball. I usually like the more flowy romantic kind of titles and then you got shame lady <laughs> one isn't word that, too isn't that the uh just the story of james bond and how he treats women <laughs> i'm just what's the thing where like the people are in like the town square or whatever and it's just like shame shame, <laughs> shame uh, i haven't seen it so uh how about the, James Bond? The entire cast hated each other. That's something we're definitely going to talk about. So on top of this, this wasn't even called Tomorrow Never Dies. This was called Tomorrow Never Lies. And then, and there's contradictory reports about this. Some people say it was a typo. Some people say that a fax got smudged and it looked like it had said Tomorrow Never Dies. But somewhere along the way, very late in production... Tomorrow Never Lies becomes Tomorrow Never Dies because of some kind of goof and people go, that sounds kind of cool. So I think Tomorrow Never Lies sounds so much better in terms of what they're going for. And how this whole thing is about a manipulation of the media and tomorrow's news today. Like Tomorrow Never Lies makes a lot more sense. I used to think that, but the more time that's passed by, the more I like Tomorrow Never Dies. Because then it's kind of like, well, there's always tomorrow. Yeah, it's it, it, it's a better overall phrase that can apply to a lot of situations. So I think as a title, "Tomorrow Never Dies" is better than "Tomorrow Never Lies." For the, actually, this movie, "Tomorrow right. Never Lies" makes more sense. If you check out like other, because they ran a contest for the music for this, and there's lots of other songs that are out there that are called "Tomorrow Never Lies" because they were submitted for tomorrow never lies so people made songs that are based off of that 
it's a completely different context when you change it to Tomorrow Never Dies, you know? It's kind of like, a, hey, Casino Royale, but we're going to change Casino and it's going to be, you know, a shrimp boat or something that you're like, well, fuck, there goes all my, uh, all my puns about that, you know? Shrimp Boat Royale. God, that would be an awful movie. Starring Arnold Schwarzenegger <laughs> as <Shrimp>. Bubba Gump. <laughs> kind of thing. Um, the tagline for this, the only one I could find, the man, the number, the license, dot, 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 are all back. Blech. We are at the point here where it's like, all right, it's gotten lame. They're, they're not doing a lot of the uh, fun of the random more stuff. Mm-hmm. It's just like, you know what this is? It's Bond. We got Brosnan. He's very good yeah. at this. They're like just shy of saying, watch the movie, fucko. <laughs> well, that would be even better. I mean, right. there's such an easy one to go. Like, Stop the presses. Bond is back. I, yeah, there you go. <laughs> I just I thought of that for like two seconds. Right. I had something that's better than what they put together. That's something that's been through like about, as someone who works in marketing, this has been through like 40 different copywriters and they've all come up with something clever and then they've just all been told, no, we don't like that. And they just said, fuck it, just give it this instead. Yeah. <laughs> Tell like, them exactly what it is. Bond is here in a movie that will go about 87 minutes. Enjoy the film. And that's basically, <laughs> okay, take it. The most obvious one too, I would think. Breaking news. Bond is back. <laughs> like, you know, it's just kind of like, and they're just sort of like, I don't know, it's a fucking Bond movie. He shoots, he fucks, whatever. You know, it's eight bucks. <laughs> like, just kind of. Break, breaking news, stop the presses, hold the front page, anything like that, and just say Bond is back next to it. And it's so much better. Right. So, lack of effort for that. Yeah, this they might as well have just said. We want you to use your Christmas money on this film. <laughs> yeah. Here you go. They just give up and they call it Bond 18. <laughs> just start doing that with the franchise. So so a series of random notes that I have nowhere else to put or I just didn't put them in other better spots to kind of bounce around or something. Brosnan was really hoping to have Quentin Tarantino direct this. He wanted Sharon Stone to be the Bond girl. Not any, like, in particular, just this is before, like, the script had been written. And he wanted Anthony Hopkins to be the villain, because they had been talking about Hopkins for uh, Trevelyan. So, there could have been a scenario where this is Sharon Stone, who was really hot at the time. Not just, like, physical, but, you know, like, uh, this is right around the time that I think Casino comes out in 1995, if I remember correctly. So, this is a couple years after Casino. Hopkins, of course, is always fucking awesome. Dude's amazing. One of the best actors that's like ever lived. That's uh, that's uh, be- yeah, best actor winner Anthony Hopkins. I think you was find. He's a two time. Yeah, yeah, won the uh, yeah one the Oscar. Or did he win three? Because I know Silence of the Lambs in this year. Yeah, I think that's only your second best actor one. But like to win best actor, are good. That's about thirty years apart. Yeah, pretty amazing. He's he's so cool too. Like his speech for this was just like. All right, I didn't think I'd win. Uh, neat. Uh, rest in peace, Chadwick Boseman. <laughs> uh, and I can't imagine a Tarantino movie, uh, a Bond movie. That I would can... be absolutely bonkers. I it's a fever dream. It's it's something I would like to see, but it's an yeah. absolute 
Just meth. I would assume almost a guarantee at least one love scene would focus on the woman's feet. He's got a foot fetish for sure. You think he tries to, if he gets the spot, he tries to weasel Uma Thurman in as the girl? Who's also pretty hot at this point. At this time, I could see him trying to make a push for something like that, or like a um, Arquette, or you know, one of the people that he had worked with like that. I could, I could see that being the case. He actually will talk about him again with another movie coming up that he was trying to do with uh, the Bond series. Uma Thurman would have been in one goal at this point in time. They would have missed out on the Avengers, probably. That would have been a better thing than maybe. <laughs> Although, I don't think she would have been a good Bond girl. Uma Thurman's great in a lot of things, but I can't picture her being a good Bond girl. Maybe, I guess, if she were more on like the like the good night side of things, not like a bimbo idiot type of thing, but like somebody working at MI6, maybe I could see that being the case. Although, I don't think she could maybe necessarily pull off the accent. I don't know. You know I, what, though? We've talked about Superman a couple times in this series. Because I believe, did they want Christopher Reeve? They play? wanted Reeve. They wanted uh, Henry Cavill. They wanted Cavill, and I know we've talked about that. We'll get there. But they got the girl from Lois and Clark. Yep. So another uh, Superman crossover. Uh, Anthony Hopkins apparently was cast as Elliot Carver. But according to one thing, he walked after three days of production because the script hadn't been finished. And he was just like, nah, not doing this. So he ended up instead uh, doing the mask of Zorro, which was directed by Martin Campbell, the one who did Goldeneye. That's actually a pretty damn good movie. I like that one. I remember that one. And side note, Catherine Zeta Jones. How the hell has she not been a bond girl? Uh, yeah, that's a missed opportunity. She would be perfect for being a bond girl she is gorgeous and she's got that sort of dangerous sexy kind of vibe to her they really missed a boat on that oh and uh, monica bellucci was up for the role of paris and they thought that she was too old old. what the fuck is that (laughs) we'll come back to that 20 years later (laughs) that fucking insane But as we talked about a little bit, uh, just a quick aside earlier, the production for this was awful. Nobody got along with the new cast. Nobody got along with the director, Roger Spottiswood, especially Judi Dench. Brosnan and Hatcher had issues. She turned up late one time and he gave her a bunch of crap for it. And then he found out that she was pregnant and he's been really like apologetic since that he's like, oh, well, fuck, if I would have known that, I wouldn't have been so mad. Uh. It, it's not uh, it's not one of those movies where people go we had a lot of fun and whatever I think it was Brosnan that had said making yeah shooting the movie was like pulling teeth just not one of those great experiences hmm. uh, Jonathan Price, Price and Terry Hatcher hadn't uh, even been cast when they started filming <laughs> so they just started to do that and like well we gotta find two of the principal characters of this whole thing and See, that's miserable to me. How how do you botch mm-hmm. something like that this this badly? They did have plot elements that were get a little bit too close to what was going on in politics at the time that they wanted to switch around. So they had to kind of change like some of the Chinese stuff and different things. And but still, 
you would think that they would have the bare bones of something enough that you'd be pretty deep into casting unless you change major, major elements of it. Or, you know, something happens, you know, obviously like a cast member dies or something, you have to switch things around. But Hatcher even said she only took the part because her husband thought it'd be cool to be married to a Bond girl. Yeah. Just like, I don't blame him, too. If he's like, you know, I get to sleep with a Bond girl, this is great. <laughs> kind of a thing. I presume ex husband, right? Uh, actually, I don't know. I didn't look that. <laughs> it might be. <laughs> Let's try to see here. Uh, Terry Hatcher. Let's look her up on Wikipedia. So she had a spouse of John Tenney from 1994 to 2003. So there we go. There it is. <laughs> <laughs> well, he could say he was married to a Bond girl. <laughs> oh, that's funny. I don't even know John Tenney. Who is he? He's an actor. Is he a? Uh... Yep, he's an actor. He played Special Agent Fritz Howard in TNT's The Closer. Or the Closer. Dad, never heard of it. But funny enough, she hasn't been married since she uh, did a Desperate Housewife, so I guess that's something for you. Huh. Maybe it's uh, like truth and fiction kind of thing or something. <laughs> never watched the Desperate Housewives. I don't know what her character is. I'm pretty sure like. she was married multiple times in that series. Maybe she thought that was enough. Uh, yeah, maybe. Just kind of like speed through. Evil Angoria, she could be a good Bond girl too at some point. Yeah, she would have been great for like the uh, the reboot. Maybe like uh, like a Solange kind of character or something. I could see that. Um, let's see what other notes that I got here. Uh, this had the misfortune of opening on the same day as a little movie called Titanic. Yeah. <laughs> what are you gonna do in that case? I mean, right. It's fucking Titanic. So Avatar, Titanic, James Cameron's just all over this thing. And uh, I guess I'll I mention this here. This is just a note that I was like, put this somewhere else. So I'll just do it before we get started with everything. This is actually the first memory I have about the James Bond franchise ever is tied to this movie. I had seen like, you know, the Simpsons parody James Bond and there's like Smash Adams on Doug and all. Uh but I, that was like a thing that didn't resonate with me. I didn't know that that was like a James Bond parody. But I remember being in fifth grade at the time when this movie came out and having this discussion in class where it was like, you know, what did you do over the Christmas break kind of a thing? And there was this one girl in my class, Acacia. Shout out to Casey if you're listening to this, by the way. I highly doubt it, but whatever. Um, she was obsessed with Titanic. Like Leonardo DiCaprio was God. And she was talking about how she had seen the movie something like 13 times in theaters. Just went like every other day to see it in theaters. Meanwhile, a friend of mine, Matt, was telling the class about how he went to the movies and he went to see Tomorrow Never Dies. And it was the coolest film ever. And there's this part with this plane and there's this and there's that. And I remember thinking to myself if Matt thinks this, that this is great it can't be that good <laughs> so, long story short Tony doesn't change <laughs> now credit to Matt a year later I'm obsessed with this series <laughs> but GoldenEye is what gets me into it so it ends up being a thing that you know however many months after that point it becomes like Oh, James Bond or whatever. Oh, fuck, Tomorrow Never Dies. I remember, uh, you know, Matt talking about that last year. I'll check that out, too, and whatever. I don't remember the order that I had seen these movies. 
I think Tomorrow Never Dies might have been my second one that I had seen after Goldeneye, but I'm not 100% sure. And I'm sure I have seen like bits and pieces from like, you know, my dad might have been like watching Thunderball on TV on some random TNT or something like that. But that the Thanksgiving thing that they do, the marathon that they used to do for the longest time. But uh, yeah, that that's the very first distinct James Bond memory that I can think of is Matt being like, this movie is like the best thing that's ever happened in the history of the universe. And me being like, it's probably shit. <laughs> Meanwhile, all these years later, look at what we're doing right now. I've seen tomorrow never dies probably a, I don't know, 20 times or something. <laughs> I mean, you know, probably more than that at this point over the years, I've seen, I've probably watched all the bond films. Uh, well, close to them. I uh, not like, Secret Service or something like that. I've probably watched them all like 20, 25 times. Total side note, what movie have you seen the most times in theaters? I think it's The Dark Knight Rises. Rises? So you just couldn't get a, enough of yeah. it's, it's one of those things where I saw it and then other people wanted to see it and then other uh, people wanted to see it. You just end up going several times. Like I did with uh, X-Men The Last Stand. I saw that two or three times. What about you, Callum? I know that you're not super duper as big into movies, but have you done any multiple showings no, of anything? Seen, I've never seen a movie more than once in fears. Try to guess mine. Gremlins. <laughs> Actually, I don't think I've seen Gremlins all the way through. Funny enough. Van Helsing. Yeah, no. <laughs> I, I was thinking of the most like not Tony movie. Attack of the Clones. Oh my god, okay. you poor bastard. I don't know the final tally, but I am a hundred percent sure I've seen it at least five times in theaters. Why? It What's might have been six. I kept getting coupons and cereal boxes for free movie tickets to just that movie. So I kept going because I'm like, yeah, fuck it. Like, you know, if you I don't, don't use it, use yeah, if I don't use it, it's not going to get used. It only applies to Attack of the Clones. And it was in like every box of cereal at the time. So I still even have like two of them in my, I have a little like a movie ticket trophy case kind of a thing going on, like a little shadow box. And uh, I was just like, well, I like popcorn. Lightsabers are cool. Hashtag Life Strat, I sucked. Uh, so let's dive into this. <laughs> Gun Barrel. One of my absolute favorites. It is just simple and clean. Yeah. I like uh, I like the music. I like how it starts off with just the, you know, like the more relaxed do, 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 instead of like the, I mean, I, I like when they do the ba-da-ba, that's my ideal, but no funky music, no... Uh, like violin shriek type of a thing, like they did with the uh, license to kill, where it's just like, ah! <laughs> the beginning of it. So we open up on a terrorist arms bazaar on the Russian border, or as it's called, a terrorist's supermarket. They're trying to buy, uh, you know, missiles and, uh, you know, milk. <laughs> At the MI6 base, we have a bunch of people watching this on camera with the idea that Bond is their center camera. Uh, people at MI6 are M, of course, uh, joined by Admiral Roebuck, the sturdy, uh, stuffy, girl, I'm going to be the guy who's wrong about things type of role, <laughs> which I think would have, in a different era, been 
Defense Minister Frederick Gray. I would have liked that better if they would have brought that character back. Instead of uh, Bill Tanner, we get this handsome devil, Charles Robinson. I don't know why they replaced Tanner with a brand new character of Robinson, but the actor playing him, Colin Salmon, what a good looking dude. He could have been Bond in like another reality. They replaced him. Well, he was like, uh, the guy who was playing Tanner was like, I don't know, doing a TV show or something, I think, at the time. I wouldn't know, but uh, yeah, I can't really add much more to what you said. He is a good looking guy, though. Mm-hmm. He's, uh, uh, yeah, I, I know where I recognize him from. I recognize him from uh, the Resident Evil movie. Mm. Because he plays a um, plays one of the people that goes in to try and... I, I can't remember the, the situation exactly, but end, he ends up getting caught in a corridor where there's lasers going through the entire place, and he basically just kills off everyone in the room, and he's the last person standing. And they do this really... It was gruesome at the time, and when I watched it, it was like where all the lasers cross over in the crisscross <laughs> pattern and go through him. And so basically his entire face and body just gets separated into small chunks. <laughs> Apparently the his character in Resident Evil is called One. Yeah, because he was just he was one of a group of just um either soldiers or security guards going into it. So they all had all were all just known by their numbers. So he wasn't he wasn't particularly famous at that point. He'd already done the the world is not enough, but he wasn't obviously that big of a deal at that point. Yeah, he'll pop up in a couple more movies, and um, you might recognize him from some other ones. Uh, Alien vs. Predator. He was in. Uh, he was in Punisher Warzone. Um, he was in the uh, Arrow TV show. I forget his character's oh, really? name on that, but he was like the the one that um, Oliver's mom was dating. Blank on his name, uh, Steel or something like that. Um, apparently, he was on Krypton too. I didn't watch any of that though. And the Tracy Ullman show. What? Okay. <laughs> uh, Walter Steele was his character in that. Brosnan at one point said, hey, why don't you make him Bond? <laughs> Which is like, that's kind of weird if he's already playing another character. But then again, we've gotten, you know, some other people that have popped up here and there. I think another parallel reality. He could have played the part really well. Good looking dude. Uh, he's got that sort of feel for him. I don't know. But we'll see Tanner and Robinson in the next film. So it's not like Tanner got fired for the evil queen of numbers line or anything in the uh, storyline of this. It's just, I nah, couldn't get the actor back. Let's just make another character instead. I really like that they're using chess code names. White Rook to White Knight, Black Knight, Black Bishop, all this other kind of stuff. I think that's pretty cool. Yeah. Another way to just, you know, another code name instead of just, hey, James. Oh, uh, hello, Charles. I'm going to, you know, gives it a little bit more of like a true espionage kind of feel to it. Yeah, this is when they draft, you know, and this is when they uh, hired uh, Gary Kasparov as the head of MI6. So So what's that? There's a joke that's going (laughs) over my head. (laughs) (laughs) I'm like, I know that there's a joke here that I'm not understanding. I probably didn't pick the most famous. Sorry, I didn't pick the most uh, famous. That's when, um, was it Deep Blue was the supercomputer at MI6 instead? You could have picked the most famous chess people <laughs> and I wouldn't have gotten the joke. <laughs> I don't actually know how to play chess. Real? I feel like you'd be good at it. I've wanted so badly to just sit down and learn. And literally every opportunity that I've ever had, I've been like, ah, 
<laughs> I think it's so cool. Chess is like great in so many ways. I think it's like sophisticated and like this, the symbolism behind it is so awesome. And I really, I hold it in like this high reverence and I just, for some reason, never want to actually learn how to play it. Some point. It's I will. Okay. Just say you're lazy. It's okay. <laughs> <laughs> so they noticed that one of the guys, Henry Gupta, who practically invented techno terrorism, uh, cool little phrase to throw out there. It's holding an American encoder and M has another dig like the CNN line from the last film where she says that she wonders if the Americans will be more upset that they lost it or that MX6 had found it. Which I think it's funny. Uh, Admiral Roebuck is like, well, all right, we've seen enough. Let's bomb the place. And the Russian dude's okay with it too. You know, there's an election coming up. Fucking politicians. <laughs> I, so here's a good place it's better to say it. I loved the plot of this movie. I thought, like, especially after 2020, <laughs> so much of this was just like, yep. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. In 1997, the movie's like, oh, this is kind of ridiculous. And in 2020, you're like, God, if they had Twitter back then. Oh, <laughs> I would like to see this movie get remade just because I think the plot holds up that strongly. And get uh, Carver in uh, Paris doing a whole Trump and Melania type thing. <laughs> Casting. I'd love to hear it. Drop a comment below. But Bond's like, uh, uh, nope. You see this shit? <laughs> it turns out there's some torpedoes in the area that will make the military strike basically go nuclear. Or as the Russian dude says, it'll make Chernobyl look like a picnic. Robux says, can't you keep people keep anything locked up? So we're past the Cold War thing, but it's like, ah, fuck those Russians kind of thing still. Fuck. <laughs> they go from being like, oh man, there's evil Russians to being like, dup, we lost the bombs. <laughs> but they're screwed. The uh, missile's out of range to be aborted. It's up to Bond to figure things out. And our intro to him is lighting somebody's cigarette, punching him out, saying filthy habit for tossing a lighter, which is a bomb. That's our first Q-Branch gadget of the movie. He shoots the place up, blows up a bunch of stuff. I love the music in this scene. Do yourself a favor, everybody. Listen to the track White Knight on the score. Even just by itself. There's a reason why this movie... On the comment, uh, not on the commentary tracks, but on like the uh, the options for it, they give you an isolated soundtrack. You can watch the movie with zero sound effects and dialogue because the music is so fucking good in this. It's arguably the best music overall in a Bond film, I think. Uh, yeah, well, I know that you I'm guys sure don't gonna... typically no. deal with that, but. Uh, any kind of moments of that that kind of made you go like, oh, you know, that's a cool song or anything outside of like, we'll talk about the main theme. So I couldn't tell you, like, obviously specific moments, but I did pay a little more attention to the music this time because I had done a little bit of research and I found the album Shaken and Stirred. Yep. Yeah. And I fell in love with the Propeller Heads, the diversion of On Her Majesty's Secret Service. And it's so good it's like 10 minutes long and i really enjoyed the music for this one because it was all put together by the same guy whose name is escaping me right now david arnold thank you 
And I thought he did really good with that album. And because of that, I paid a little bit more attention to the music here and really enjoyed it all. Yeah, he pretty much got the gig because of that. He just did like a sort of fan thing and they're like, this dude's good. Let's bring him on. And he is my favorite composer of the series. I think that his work from this through Quantum of Solace is like the best music in the Bond stuff. Of course, John Barry always has like, you know, John Barry set the tone, but uh, big, 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 big fan of David Arnold. We're going to gush about him more in a little bit. All right, at least I am. But definitely check out White Knight. It's a great song on this uh, track. And um, the scene itself is just really good. Like uh, Bond's smart enough to get into the jet with the torpedoes and fly off so the missiles don't strike and, you know, kaboom. After escaping that, we get an action sequence with the guy in the back seat of the jet trying to strangle Bond. Bond dispatches him with the ejector seat that flies into another jet, killing them both. And he just dismisses it as a backseat driver, which Bond will become later on in the movie, funny enough. And he just can't help but rub it in. He says, hey, White Knight here. Ask the Admiral where he'd like his bombs delivered. <laughs> so, and again, it's it's Bond, so of course it's going to be bizarre and wacky and he's going to be able to do things that no other person can do. But to be able to control a plane with your knees <laughs> and fly it directly underneath, directly parallel to another plane above you, so you could shoot somebody from the ejector seat into the exact same seat on the opposing jet and that causing it to blow up is pretty ridiculous. <laughs> but, you know, this... I, I thought... Listen, this man is trained in ways that you could not begin to imagine. I, I like it. Don't forget, he I, owns I, space. I, I, <laughs> no, yeah. I, I thought it, I thought it was a lot of fun. I I like the fact that there was that there was a reason why Bond was just shooting the place up because I feel like we might have gone in the previous one. One of the things that I didn't really have like a huge issue with one of the was that we don't see Bond being a quote unquote spy that much in that previous movie. Whereas this one, you do get a bit more of it. But there's a reason for the urgency of this one, which is the entire place is going to blow up if he doesn't just go around and just start killing people and start like causing as much of a ruckus as he possibly can do. So I, I, I appreciate that added element of jeopardy into it, which is the reason why Bond basically goes from being a spy to being the killing machine that he can be. Yeah, it makes a lot more sense and it's more justified when he's killing a bunch of terrorists versus when he's killing a bunch of Russian guards that arguably aren't doing anything wrong. <laughs> In the archives scene in GoldenEye. <laughs> They're like, hey, this guy's got a gun and he's in our uh, custody. We need to go after him. And Bond's just like, Brr. <laughs> you know. They were Russian. Yeah, you know, they can't keep anything locked up. So that's their punishment. On my, um, I'm the, I think I'm the only one that's going to end up doing this because uh, you guys aren't making the same uh, amount of heavy lists. And I don't blame you. <laughs> uh, I have Tomorrow Never Dies as my fourth favorite at the moment opening sequence behind uh, Goldeneye, License to Kill, and Loving Daylights. Because even though I'm like kind of 50 50 on any particular day, Tomorrow Never Dies could go above or below License to Kill or The Living Daylights. It's definitely not going to top Goldeneye. Goldeneye is still my favorite opening. But I love the intro of Tomorrow Never Dies. I think that it's really one of the absolute highlights of the movie. Funny I enough. think this is right where I texted you, like, okay, we're just full action movie yeah. Bond now. Like, we're, we're just full on craziness, explosions. 
not going to dedicate as much time to the Bond theme playing when he's checking out his hotel room and eating grapes. (laughs) Yeah, like, the series has changed so much. And since we watched all these movies in a relatively short amount of time so quickly, that it can be a little jarring, but we are firmly in the 90s here, and it's a lot of explosions. Come far away from something like From Russia With Love, right? Where it's like, let's sit down and talk for a good portion of the movie and let's have more dedicated scenes of like, well, you had red wine with that uh, thing and, you know. (laughs) Yeah, but I think that's, it kind of loses, that's why I think some of the Brosnan stuff loses some of its charm with me. Mm -hmm. In fact, it's just too much of a generic action movie. Yeah. Not so much this one. I do, I do think there was elements where it was going to the spy thing where like Bond goes that like infiltrates the party and does some chatting there or he does some spying around um like uh to get uh, Gupta's device and things like that. That was a lot more that was a lot more quote unquote traditional Bond. It's why I appreciate Casino Royale so much because so much of that movie is based just in that casino scene. And even though there are bits of action in between that thing, that I like the fact that that's more of a a settled atmosphere for a little while alongside the action things that go on in the movie as well. Yeah. Casino Royale, uh, Royale has a better combination of like, let's try to go a little bit back to the past, but not be boring for modern audiences. Whereas the yeah, Brosnan era, it's like, give them the action kind of a thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I understand why it is, it is different and yeah. it is more exciting, but uh, yeah, I, I, I like, I like a blend. It is like, uh, I mean, at this point, you guys have gotten through all but finishing Brosnan and going to Craig. So I don't have to explain it to you guys. You know it already. But like the series very much becomes. Are you judging it based off of the series or are you judging it based off of the error? Because it's kind of like. Ah, live and let die. Like that's that's so good. For a more film. And then, like, you know, like, it's like the, oh, man, you know, uh, that's such a funny line in a Connery film or that kind of thing. It, it's very, like, you always have to kind of put, like, a conditional statement of a lot of different things. Yeah, I think that's why, for me, my list will probably be perpetually changing because I'm always going to think, yeah, but... Now that I think about it, you know, Man with the Golden Gun might be number two. Or, like, you just continuously change things because you don't know if you're going, well, this was good for the time or this was just good. Yeah, I really think that once we calibrate everything, once we get to the end of this, it's going to be useful to watch some sort of, like, maybe montage thing or something or whatever, where it'll be, like... Uh, a refresher of some of those elements and see if anything changes. Cause even just doing this, I've seen these movies a thousand times and my rankings change all the time. Some of them are higher than what they used to be. Some of them are lower, that kind of thing. So it's, it's pretty interesting. Uh, let's talk about our main theme. Technically speaking, this is the main theme. It's tomorrow never dies by Cheryl Crow. However, all throughout the movie, you're going to hear renditions of another song, <laughs> which they used at the end of the film, called Surrender by Katie Lang, which was written by David Arnold, who provided the score. Uh, that was, for all intents and purposes, the song, but they didn't think that Katie Lang was a big enough name. They wanted to capitalize on Charles Crow's popularity at the time. 
So they made that song and David Arnold was like, all right, well, then I'll just put that at the end. And since I did it and I like it, I'm going to incorporate it into the music. And I actually like that song better. Um, I'll talk about that at the end of it, though. Uh, so when you hear this song, it's gotten stuck in my head like they all do. Which one? Surrender or Tomorrow Never Dies? Tomorrow Never Dies. Okay. Uh, look, Cheryl Crow's great, but this was so like, you're in 97. We, this is the part where we slap you in the face that you're in 97 because here's a Cheryl Crow song and I couldn't tell you anything Cheryl Crow has done since like 2004. <laughs> you know, it's one of the... It's just one of those things where it completely stamps the era of where we are. <laughs> I love this song. It's, it's a great song, but I, that to me stood out more than anything. I'm glad to hear this. Did you say that? Because a lot of people are down on this song and I like it a lot. I don't think it's like in top tier Pantheon of themes, but it's a song that I really like just enjoy listening to quite often I, I like the um like the build up to it where it just starts off like a few like good action notes at the start of it and then it fades into like cheryl cole's uh, cheryl cole cheryl cheryl crow not cheryl <laughs> different cole, singer that'd be ridiculous <laughs> um call but, uh, the yeah. shots now <laughs> but yeah i i like the fact that it's, it dies down a little bit and it builds up with her kind of like quite sultry tones early on and then she gets so much power into the chorus mm-hmm. and i really really appreciate that i'm someone who kind of listens more to the lyrics the lyrics are the thing that really stands out to me rather than the the background music and i do like the like, especially the drum beat that goes on in the background for this but i'm just not such mesmerized but really really like really enjoy cheryl crow's um just the power that she gets into the vocals throughout this entire thing I'm much more of a melody guy than lyrics. I talk to Caroline about this all the time where she is very much the lyrics matter to her 10 times more than it does to me. I, I've got songs that are absolute nonsense and I don't even know what the I, uh, one of my favorite songs. I still don't know what the actual lyrics are because nobody on the Internet actually has like what it says. And uh, it's cut every time I say uh, by Basement 3. If you look under Google searches, you'll find a whole bunch of things that say like question marks on some of these lines and stuff. But it's like it's it's catchy as hell. So it's just like every time I do something, something like this kind of thing. But I am a big fan of some of the lyrics in this. Mm. Uh, We've said before, Bond themes are typically the lyrics are nonsensical and ethereal, just kind of like poetic BS. But sometimes, like with You Only Live Twice, I think that they got some real zingers. And uh, like to, to go down some of these, Darling, I'm killed. I'm in a puddle on the floor waiting for you to return. Or, oh, what a thrill. Fascinations galore. How you tease, how you leave me to burn. Uh, generic, but I like it. Uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's up to it's the next verse. Time, yeah, maybe. it's so deadly, my dear, the power of having you or wanting you near. They switch it. Until the day, until the world falls away, until you say there'll be no more goodbyes, I see it in your eyes, tomorrow never dies. I like it, again, but it's not the real kicker. The next verse, yeah, that's the one. Darling, you've won, it's no fun, martinis, girls, and guns, it's murder on our love affair. But you bet your life every night while you're chasing the morning light, you're not the only spy out there. 
For the longest time, I thought she said something else that I actually think is a better line. I thought she said, but you bet your life every night while you're chasing the morning light, you're not the only star out there. As in, like, not only a star in the sense of, like, wow, you're a star, you're so great, but also that there's, like, a you know, a billions of stars in the sky, so they're nothing all that special. But then again, people wish upon them, so it's kind of like all the girls in Bond's life are like a shooting star of, you know, they're they're beautiful and amazing and wonderful to everyone else. They're the best thing ever. To Bond, they're a dime a dozen. Seriously, I was thinking that. <laughs> I thought that that's well, what I- it was. Well, and then when it's going to hit you with that and, uh, you know, my name, he's going to smack you in the face. With that. Yeah, I'm, I'm always going to dive deeper. And I, I was disappointed to find out eventually that it was you're not the only spy out there. And I'm like, ah, man. But I still really, really love that bit. Darling, if one, it's no fun. Martinis, girls and guns. It's murder on a love affair. But you bet your life every night while you're chasing the morning light. You're not the only spy out there. So I good. Like I like it because it encapsulates both Bond girls in this. This one line. Because the first two kind of really integrate the Paris side of it, and then the fact that the other spy out there is Waylon. Yeah. Waylon, yeah. yeah. So it kind of encapsulates both of them in one line. For a movie that has no script, it's like she read it. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Arguably one of the better sets of lines. Uh, the world's not enough has a lot of great lines in it, and you know we've got some other ones that are absolute fucking garbage, like uh, another way to die. Well, the next one is absolute garbage. <laughs> technically <absolute> is garbage <laughs> nice thing for you guys there yeah, 10 points <laughs> give it to Callum we're out. <laughs> nobody's gonna get a better line than Callum in that one <laughs> yeah, no one. Uh, as far as the visuals it's a lot of like x-ray stuff which we'd actually see for a minute in the next film not this one so that's kind of weird but it's a lot of like technology like a naked woman made out of circuits there's transparent guns and all I like them quite a bit I love the visuals. This is just for me because I have that like fondness of 90s culture and stuff like that. I enjoyed it. I enjoyed the cheap CGI and the way that the girls would, you'd kind of see them come into the light a little bit. Thumbs up for me. Probably one of my more memorable intros, actually. You got a fondness for the bondness. I, I do. After this series, I gotta say, I really do have a fondness for the bondness. <laughs> I, I like the conception of the visuals. I don't like the execution. I think they look really amateur, especially compared to the last one. And this one's two years later, so you expect it to be a little bit better, a little bit more refined. I think it looks a lot worse than in Goldeneye. But I like, I like the actual the things that they do. I just don't like the way that it looks. The part of it that I don't get, what's up with the diamond necklace turning into planets? Or whatever. I think they're just taking iconography from other Bond movies. Yeah, at this point they're just sort of doing some stuff like that. But they're, like, next time around we're going to get some is stuff. Is it like that's... a satellite? Is it meant to be like a satellite? Oh, maybe that's what it is. Yeah, that makes a lot more sense. It would make more sense if they told us the satellite had diamonds working in it or something like yeah, that. Yeah, which they eventually do in a movie that sucks. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I really like the ending shot of the woman like just falling through the internet, basically. Yeah. It's like weird that, was... that they cut the song in a weird way, but it is kind of like... It's cool to see just like, uh, instead of diving into a pool, she's diving into 
the circuitry and all that. The music's just uh, in this movie. It's so good. I love the score. I love the uh, the Moby remix of the Bond theme too. Do you guys see that? Very good. Do you happen to check that out, Callum? No, no. I'm gonna. I'm not. I'm not. not, I don't listen to music in this thing. Like the only music I listen to is the opening credits and and the end credits. That's basically it, really. So the reason I know the Moby theme is because the Moby theme is in the Spotify playlist I have of all the main themes, and I really enjoy it a lot. I'm gonna hit you with that in the Skype chat that we've got going on. If you want to listen to that, it's very. You don't have to listen to the whole thing, obviously. Right now, we're not gonna wait that long, but um, it's very like. Uh, there's some parts where it sounds kind of um, like 70s, where it's got that like kind of like shaft sort of thing in there. But it's it's so good, like that. It's uh, the song that pops up on the like it's. I could see this being played in a trailer or commercial right. or just, you know, a Super Bowl Pepsi ad featuring Bond. Yeah. Where they just go, it's Bond. Watch the goddamn movie. Yeah. Bond, drink the goddamn Pepsi. I don't um, know why Moby out of all like that they had approached to do it, but I think he does a damn good job. 1997. We're in the 90s. <laughs> <laughs> You had a little bit of a chance to check it out. What do you think? I'm not a fan. Really? It's, 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 it's too much. Just getting Way a little bit like uh, over the top. Yeah, it's just like it's it's like yeah, it's like one people say, "Oh well, look at this classical piece of music that everyone finds iconic. I can make it better <laughs> by putting more on it." And I'm just like, I'm, I mean, I've only listened to like a, a bit of it at the start, but it just feels like okay. Take you just basically got the the baseline you can still re- refer to it as like it is the bond theme i just think it's way too just garbled with technology i really like uh i like that i like the paul oakenfold one that they do for i think it's die another day i'm not entirely sure i think it's die another day but my favorite abs- absolute favorite oh I-, I also really love the one from the uh the golden eye trailer the best bond theme is the Casino Royale trailer. When we get to that one, I'm going to gush about that one for sure. Um, so, did you miss the stereotypical opening a Bond film with a ship of some sort being taken over or destroyed trope? <laughs> I can't say that I missed it. I forget exactly which movie I had brought it up where I'm like, and we're going to do this again, and tomorrow never dies, and in this one, and in that one. Like, How could I miss it when it won't go away? <laughs> yeah, really. <laughs> Yeah, we're back to that again. The HMS Devonshire is thought to be entering Chinese waters, and some MIGs warn them that they're going to be fired upon. The Devonshire dude's like, what uh, the fuck? We're in uh, international waters. That's because the encoder that Gupta has is messing with their GPS. So the bad guys have another part of this plan, a stealth ship of their own with a drill that they're going to send into the Devonshire to make it seem like a torpedo from the Chinese. Love the score here, too, by the way. So good. Um, the Sinking of the Devonshire is the name of the track, I think. One of the people in this, Leading Seaman. I know this, yes. This is this is, this is hilarious. It's amazing how the people start their careers. Gerard Butler. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> he apparently was also considered to replace Brosnan. And but he could have. He turned it down. He said he didn't want to be typecast. And then he would go on later to play an American Secret Service agent in three movies. 
<laughs> so I'm not going to be Bond, but I'll do Olympus Has Fallen and all this other, you know, same kind of shit like that. Wonder what would have been the more lucrative one. But Definitely Olympus. I don't know if uh, Butler would have been necessarily a good Bond. He might have been. But instead, he's leading seamen. Like, basically, basically, his entire movie career is very much of that action movie genre. Apart from the Phantom of the Opera, which I found bizarre <laughs> that, they, that he's just like in the Phantom of the Opera. He's also in a lot of really shitty uh, rom-coms as well. Oh, yeah. Uh, it seems like that's kind of one of the things. If you're like a Liam Neeson or whatever, it's like, I'm going to be this gruff dude. And also, I'm going to show my sensitive side and be on like... um. I don't know. The, yeah, the the yes, wedding blah blah yeah. where I'm flirting around with Reese Witherspoon or something. <laughs> Who's in the movie with Gerard Butler? It's got to be somebody like that. Or like... um, oh, Which one? Uh, what did you say? It was the wedding... Or the the um, playing for keeps, you said? That's oh, the name of it? Keeps. Oh, let's see. Who's... Kevin Heigl. Oh, it's one of those ones where he's the main character, but there's many, there's multiple women involved in this. because uh, he's <laughs> such a bachelor. Oh, oh, Jessica, Jessica Biel, Uma Thurman, funnily enough. Huh. Catherine Zeta-Jones. Yeah, Catherine Zeta-Jones as well is in that one. So. <laughs> yeah, Parallel so. reality. We've got uh, Gerard Butler as Bond. It's directed by Quentin Tarantino. Uma Thurman's in there. It's, you know. Oh, oh of course, PSI Love You is Hilary Swank. Of course, there's got to be. <laughs> I like Swank. Yeah, I know, but she's so fit into that sort of movie. Yeah. So like, no, she's just one of those like, actors that a lot of people like uh, crap on, and I'm like, ah, I like her, even though she like, does some shitty movies like that, you know? I know, but she wrote, the, the, the person just wrote the title down, so like, okay, Hilary Swank, uh, Reese Witherspoon, mm. uh, who's the woman, uh, Meg Ryan. Just yeah. Just down on the list and see which one we get. Uh, oh, God, with uh, Rachel McAdams has been in a bunch of these at this point. Yeah. So the stealth ship also shoots down one of the Chinese, dependent on the British firing back, and the British uh, crew abandon the ship. They're promptly gunned down using Chinese ammunition, which we'll come back to that scene at another point a little later, later on with another little nod to something. Um, back at Hamburg, the principal villain of the movie, Elliot Carver, played by Jonathan Price, as we mentioned, is talking to a bunch of people on his screens about some of his other dastardly deeds. He's making sure that their software has bugs that will force people to upgrade for years. That's not a reality, is it? <laughs> so, again, I, I had read a review of this where they were like, oh, I didn't really like the villain. He should have been a, a sidekick that was easily dispatched. I think this is the most realistic villain I've seen in any of these films. Maybe the most realistic villain. This is all real. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, yeah, I absolutely adore the, uh, Elliot Carver in this entire film because he's obviously no sort of physical threat to Bond in any shape or form, but he's such an asshole, And you want to see, like from these first lines where you talk about, especially nowadays when you're looking back 20 years and you can just see all this stuff happening in reality, you just want to kill, you want this guy to die immediately from the second <laughs> you see him start talking. And that's perfect for the Bond villain. He's like Boris, but the main villain. Yeah, I was going to say, can you imagine him paired with Boris? I do think a better version of this movie, though, focuses a bit also more on General Chang that we'll talk about. And that it's got more like 
kind of a mix of like the living daylights where it's, you got the, the military guy and you got the schemer sort of thing. I'd like to see a, a retooling like that. But uh, oh, one of the other guys on this, Mr. Wallace has an exchange where they go back and forth about Carver says, if the president doesn't sign the bill, lowering the cable rates, they're going to release a video of him with a cheerleader in a Chicago hotel room. And after and he does we- sign it, release <laughs> we'll it anyway. anyway. And My God. Mr. Wallace says, consider him slimed. That's your Michael G. Wilson producer cameo of the film. He's Mr. Wallace. Oh, good. Ah. So he goes from, you know, just being like, uh, you know, the voice in like License to Kill of being like the, you know, uh, at the very beginning of the movie, if they hurry, they might just be able to grab the bastard and just sitting in the conference table of uh, GoldenEye and all these other little cameos that he'd had here and there. Now he actually gets to like play a part. He's Mr. Wallace and I consider him slimed. He's like, no, now I'm a veteran actor. I've been in like five of these as a cameo. I know what I'm doing. Kind of like Stan Lee, you know, <laughs> Stan Lee goes from like, hey, shit, that's Stan Lee in one of these Marvel movies. And then it becomes, where's Stan Lee? Where's Stan Lee? the president thing though (laughs) it's it's amazing how again these movies tell us this is how it works and then it happens and we still go oh my god that's how it works yeah (laughs) (laughs) mr stamper the big blonde strong henchman Who's German with a black shirt? Yeah, it's, it's a trope. I saw him. Very excited. This is the fourth, I think, big, strong, blonde German henchman in a black shirt. They just can't help themselves. They're like Kriegler, black shirt. He's German. He's blonde. He's strong. Dude from uh, You Only Live Twice, black shirt. Do it. It's just like you have to do it. I guess there's some kind of a you're working in the like production side of things and you go, Oh, what's this character? Oh, he's just uh, the, the heavy of the movie. You know, he's this uh, big German guy. Mm, is he blonde? Oh yeah. He's German. Black shirt. We're going with black shirt. <laughs> but he says a throwaway line here. That's supposed to be a bigger deal. Originally, he said that he hasn't seen the film that they recorded when they were shooting down the survivors, but he's told that the footage is excellent. One of the plot points that they cut out of the film is going to be that he has a fetish for snuff films. Right. Okay. <laughs> uh, I mean, I mean, you're supposed to dislike these guys, so I guess there's yeah. that element to it. I, I think I could live without that plot point so i just can't imagine how they would like naturally incorporate it in there like what's he going to be like you know sitting there watching one in the scene you know (laughs) is he going to try to be fighting james bond he says like hang on a minute and just get a camera out of his back pocket yeah (laughs) filming it i want to capture this how can you kill james bond when you've got your you got your camera in one hand your dick in the other (laughs) (laughs) got nothing to kill him with there could have been some uh, some good camera puns here and there or something like that. Like, There is a, a phrase, though, Carver says, there's no news like bad news. Again. Oh, hamming it up. But again, this is real. Like, yeah. No, yeah, I just want to take that to the point that Rob made earlier. It's just, this is so realistic of a plot. It's just like, it's, it's still a complete and utter megalomaniac. 
but it's like a megalomaniac that you could imagine living in a way in, a, in an actual universe that you live in i'm like it's not out of the realm of possibility that has been at least some person that has just been in charge of a news channel and thought how can i get more people to see in this show maybe i can create the news that's terrible Richard Murdoch. <laughs> I didn't want to say it. <laughs> that was exactly. What I didn't I say anything. I coughed. What are you talking about? <laughs> the uh, the views and opinions expressed in this podcast. You know? <laughs> Is he still around, Murdoch? Um, I think he's one of those people that just never dies. Like tomorrow. Yeah, <laughs> you'd be me too. He's got. He's someone who's basically going to have his brain in a jar. Yeah, he's uh, pulling the Disney method. Yeah. <laughs> what if that's fucking real? Like, what if we find out down the line that all these jokes about that are like, nope, yep, Futurama was right. Like, Walt Disney's just in there. Murdoch's in there. Fucking I would not Tupac. Be surprised in the <laughs> so we're in our seventies was... and they get defrosted, and then we're like, we fucking knew it. <laughs> you know? That's one of the things that totally drew me to this movie, though. It's I can relate to this. We're constantly seeing it's and it's out there too. How you know mainstream cable is struggling now because there's no evil president to make the bad news and the ratings are struggling. This was one of the most easily relatable plots. <laughs> Isn't that sad? <laughs> I mean, it's better to be more on like the oh, news guy can be corrupt than the dude's got virus uh, globes that he's going to shoot from a <laughs> fucking rocket. <laughs> Although Elon Musk. Yeah, we have to keep going back to Elon Musk. For this. <laughs> Telling you it's going to happen. It's going to happen. You've heard it here I first. I kind of just love the fact that, like, the whole semblance of the movie is, could be so dangerous. But realistically, his only... Well, we'll obviously get to it, but his plan is so tame in comparison. He's yeah. still an absolute fucking nut job. Yeah, I, I like Carver uh, a lot more than a lot of other people do. I'm glad that we were going to be on the positive side of things when it comes to that. Uh, Bond goes to Oxford. He's studying a new tongue with his professor. Yeah, he is. I.e., he's fucking her because she's hot. <laughs> <laughs> Love the subtlety and nuance we bring to this here. <laughs> yep. <laughs> hey, Bond's dicking his Danish professor. Yeah, you know, they're going at it. <laughs> it's more than just a little Danish, let me tell you. Money Penny calls up, and we get a. The liners here, rapid fire. Where are you? Brushing up on a little Danish. Well, kiss off your lesson. All that stuff. But the best is when she says, you always were a cunning linguist, James. <laughs> uh, she's still about pussy eating. And M overhears, she just goes, don't ask. And I'm just like, don't tell. <laughs> like, it's so, oh man, I love it. Yeah. One of my favorite parts of the movie. One of the best interactions of all three characters mm -hmm. throughout the entire series it's a, like the good step up from when we used to get like bernard lee's m that would be like all right enough with the small talk miss money penny like you know we know that you're flirting with bond bring him in i need to talk to him about stuff and m's just kind of like don't tell me about how he goes down on people like just a sign of the different times this is 30 years on like attitudes have changed mm-hmm 
I'd like that sort of stuff. That sort of stuff they probably were talking about that then is just like, oh my god, I can't believe Money Penny and Bond are being so raunchy in the office there, flirting with each other, and now just basically talking about eating a girl out. And it's just yeah. uh, okay, that's like, <laughs> what is now. It's a far cry from would you settle for a tulip? <laughs> and so has same passive aggressiveness because Money Penny's just like, yeah, that should be me. Uh. <laughs> M is so good too. Admiral Roebuck says that she doesn't have the balls for the job, and she says, well, "Perhaps, but okay. the advantage is that I don't have to think with him all the time." That's such a good line. <laughs> so snappy. It, Fucking great. She's great in this role, and it almost makes me go, "Damn, I wish they would have shifted M to a woman sooner because woman. it's been <laughs> great." <laughs> That fucking a woman thing. I mean, for the longest time, I always thought it was a funny line. And since we've done this podcast, it's just become a, a regular thing. The other day, Caroline says something or whatever, like, she, blah, 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 um, something, something. Oh, this person was a woman. And I went, a woman? And I'm like, oh, God, I'm not on the podcast right now. It doesn't even make any sense. Like, <laughs> I'm glad I could do that to you. I, I know it was me. <laughs> yeah, M is just fucking great. I absolutely adore Judy Dench's M. And when she's doing these kind of punchy lines, you can't help but to just be like, fuck yeah, M. Like, you know, tell Admiral Roebuck to suck it kind of thing. And 48 hours they're sending in the fleet. That's all the time they have to investigate. We get another great music track and a scene that I enjoy quite a bit, despite the fact that it seems to be overlooked uh, when they're in the car. Nothing big going on to talk about. It's just like a normal everyday type of scene. It's a little bit awkward, too, because their original intention for the scene was to joke that they're drinking and every turn that they make, they're spilling their drinks. And when they watched it, they were like, Meh, we don't really like that. So they that's why like there's a lot of real strong close ups on people's faces is because they were just like, let's just zoom in and just cut out the parts of like spilling the drinks and stuff. But I really like it. It's a, a bit of an expedition dump where they're kind of going through the whole thing like. Carver owns the paper known as Tomorrow. They printed the story ahead of time. They know that his satellite's involved. They suspect him, uh, naturally, because he can broadcast everywhere about China, who refused him. And brings up that Bond knows Elliot Carver's wife, Paris. They do a couple more little lines. Um, pump her uh, for information. <laughs> that was maybe second best, only because the cunning linguist line was so good. You're going to have to pump her for information. Well, that was another time. Remind her. <laughs> and the money penny's just like, well, James, you're going to have to decide how much pumping is necessary. Yeah. <laughs> like, he just starts out, ah, if only that were true about you and I. <laughs> <laughs> but great music in this track. Um, if anybody wants to listen to that one, too. I just, it's, I like those little scenes here and there of just sort of, we can slow down the action. We can talk. We can have some fun with these characters you know yeah i appreciate that side of it and i don't really mind the exposition dump in this in the fact that they've got two days to solve this thing so you just need to give bond everything they know at this point in time yeah and we've gotten expedition dumps before usually they're in m's office so it's not like uh these movies are trying to get the expedition exposition out of the way so they can do more shoot shoot bang bang like no in like thunderball they would be like all right, we got a bomb, we got this, they're calling for this, whatever, go get the bomb. 
They do that with everything. You know, how many times did Bond uh, get called into M's office and it's like, so Bond, what do you know about Francisco Scaramanga? Scaramanga? Yeah. Uh, he's this, 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 that, 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 whatever. He's coming after right. me, whatever. Two and a half minutes later, he's going to Hong Kong. You know? Although I like this a lot better because it's not like, so Bond, what do you know about diamonds? And then he tells her, <laughs> like, you, fuck. <laughs> <laughs> Tell us what do you know about tomorrow? <laughs> Not much. Uh, tomorrow is a newspaper that's created by Ellie Carver. It's whatever. It's also the Gregorian calendar says this about tomorrow. <laughs> Lepidoptery. Just go back to that. Uh, Bond flies over the Hamburg. He goes to the car rental place. And this is just such a good scene. Because who's the one that meets him? Q. So much fun is Q. Q's the insurance, uh, he's got the insurance waiver for the car. This is so, this, again, this is just so much fun. This it's, line. This it's line. arguably like one of the best scenes in the movie. A line after line, like you said. Will yes. you need collision coverage? Yes. Fire? Probably. Property destruction? Definitely. Personal injury? Well, I hope not, but accidents do happen. Well, they frequently do with you. <laughs> that takes care of the normal wear and tear. Will I need any other protection? Only for me, unless you bring that car back in pristine order. <laughs> it's, it's, it's just brilliant with the idea that I've, cause I, I saw a trailer for um, uh, Tomorrow Never Dies as well, and part of it is just keep mm. saying that stuff, and then you just see footage of all those things happening throughout the movie, and it's just so good. That's a great trailer with that, you know. Well, you need collision coverage? Bang! Yes. Fire? <sighs> Probably like that. Kind of, that's a great, great trailer. I love that one. I'm glad you brought that up. I forgot about putting a note you about that. You know what, though? We've come so far from. I never joke about my work, 007. Like, oh uh, yeah, it's, it's so good to see the progression of their relationship. And Q is a treasure. And I am so sad that we're coming on the end of Q. Mm, prepare to be gutted. <laughs> uh, yeah, I'm. I'm sadly ready for it. There's a deleted scene right after this. Uh, you might have noticed that next to the BMW, there's a large cat in a cage in the background. They don't call attention to it in this cut of the movie, but the full scene was Cube is going to open up the box after saying, here's your new car. And it's got the cat. And Bond goes, Jaguar? And Q goes, ah, shit, wrong box. <laughs> they just cut it for time. I think that they should have kept it in there. I think it's kind of cute. But I do kind of like the the cut that they do where it's just sort of like, you know, all the jokes about whatever, then bang, the um, the crate falls. It's a BMW 750. I don't know a damn thing about cars, so I can't tell you anything about it, but it's got it's like machine. In a row. Yeah, they, they, uh, they, I think that they might have that in the next movie too, if I'm remembering correctly. Clearly, uh, sponsorship going on here. Oh, yeah. yeah. Uh, like we talked about the last time, they did the thing with the BMW and they sold, it was like, they paid $3 million and they made like $250 million or something like that. <laughs> so they're like, do it again. <laughs> you know, It's got machine guns, rockets, a GPS tracking system, an AI that Q says, uh, I thought you'd pay more attention to a female voice. And Bond says, I think we've met. <laughs> and Bond, uh, Q just says, I'm not interested in your sordid escapades. <laughs> It's like don't don't tell me. Money Penny's been making these jokes. <laughs> Wait, was Bond on that documentary about those men who fuck cars? <laughs> God, I watched one of those kind of things. What the fuck is wrong with some people, dude? Don't fuck the exhaust pipe in your car. 
don't fuck anything in your car. It's a car. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> any any of those. There's one Caroline got me to watch where this woman's uh she thinks that she's married to this Ferris wheel. It's like, no, no, you're not. <laughs> like She's like, oh, we make love every time I come here. No, you ride the Ferris wheel. It's gross. Yeah, <laughs> you think does. That that's <laughs> if you want to see us do a fan tracks <laughs> of these things, I'll get Caroline on too. Make it a, a thing. She would need to be there. She's uh, she's so fun to watch those things with. Um, so, like you see how we just had that rapport with each other. You could tell that uh, Bond and Q actually get along in real life because right. unlike the rest of the movie where things weren't as playful, this was a blast. Yeah, you could yeah, tell really that Desmond... people that we hang out outside of this. <laughs> uh, Desmond and uh, Pierce definitely like they have a camaraderie together. And it's not just sort of like, well, you know, you're baked into this and I'm going to deal with you. And, well, you're in the new Bond, so we'll, you know, we'll kind of do those scenes and get the fuck on with it. Like, you can tell that they're having fun with each other. So he, good. He hands him a phone. <laughs> Talk here, listen here. That's what I've been doing wrong all these years. <laughs> you just can't help but do it. God, I love how much of a dick Bond is. Because <laughs> like, that's exactly what I would say. Just like... Ah, fuck, that's what I'm doing wrong. Like, it's the go-to dad joke kind of thing. <laughs> so good. The phone is awesome, too. Fingerprint scanner, a taser, it's the remote control for the car. And I love that when Q tries it out, you know, it's a little hard to get control of, a little bit of practice. Bond just grabs it, spins the car around, does some donuts in the parking lot. <laughs> and it plays off the woman thing, because he's like, oh, let's see how she responds to my patch. Yeah. Boom. <laughs> Stops right in front of them by a few inches and is like, oh, you know, it's not that hard or whatever. And Q's just like, grow up. <laughs> it's like, ah, fucking Bond, you know, kind of a thing. But not in the, like, you know, I hope that Scaramanga would have shot your ass kind of thing. <laughs> <laughs> Shut up, Q. You know? Shut up. <laughs> is that all that that coffee maker does, you fucking ass? <laughs> <laughs> Give me my spoon back, dick. <laughs> uh, the Q scene, just so good. So good. Yeah. And it's a shame that when you get those, it ends up being like, oh, now that's like no more Q in the rest of the movie. That's why I love like uh, License to Kill popping up with Q so much and everything. Uh, Bond goes to Carver's party, tries to play off that he's a banker. Uh, gets nowhere with it. His thunder gets stolen by Wei Lin of the new China news agency. Very snooty people around, you know, this whole like, oh, I said I'd pay this much money for this. <laughs> that kind of shit. And uh, Bond manages to find Paris. Says, I always wondered how I'd feel if I ever saw you again. And she slaps him and he says, well, was it something I said? And she says, how about the words, I'll be right back? <laughs> See... This is the part where I actually feel like I obviously we talked about like the camaraderie between um Pierce uh, Brosnan and uh, Desmond Llewellyn, but then we talk about the fact that these two genuinely disliked each other on set, and that comes across here, and it actually yeah. makes the scene even better. Because mm -hmm. like, they're just there's so much animosity between the two of them. The way that she looks at him is the way that she looks at somebody that she doesn't like for sure. And I mean Terry Hatcher is a good actor and everything. Like I'm sure she would have been able to pull that off, but. 
there is genuine animosity. So she probably relished the idea that she could actually slap him, you know? So one thing I don't like here is he simply says, my name's Bond, James Bond. I'm a banker. We're all talking about media here and the internet. You're telling me you don't know who James Bond is. There's a computer <laughs> in, was it a view to a kill? View to a kill, yeah. It's like, he's licensed to kill. I, I just didn't like that. Kind of threw me off a little bit. Other than that, good scene. Paris knows him well enough that she orders him a vodka martini shaken, not stirred. Uh, Bond orders her a tequila, straight shot. She says, nope, I'll have a glass of Mr. Carver champagne. So it's a little, you know, power trip move there. And then they're He's like, hey, you moved up in the world, haven't you? Yeah. She's just sort of like, yep. You know, she says a line that is very important for the overall continuity of the franchise for something to somebody like me that I absolutely love when they do these things. Tell me, James, do you still sleep with a gun under your pillow? I fucking love that so much because we've seen Bond do that in the series and we'll see him do it again. It's just this great, like they could have very easily said like, you know, tell me, James, uh, are you still as good in bed or like, you know, any kind of other variation of like, hey, we used to fuck. But the do you still sleep with a gun under your pillow? It's got the perfect level of like class to it without being crass. Just to mention like, hey, it's the same guy all the time. And little character traits like that are just so good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just, I like the fact that it also plays an important role in this movie beyond just the continuity of the entire series as well. Yeah, and that actually, that scene wasn't even going to be a part of it, funny enough. They ended up uh, editing that later on. Now, rumor has it, I was not able to figure out any kind of like definitive thing. I listened to the commentary tracks, nobody said anything about it. Originally, this, again, supposedly, wasn't going to be Paris Carver. This was going to be Sylvia Trench. The uh, girl from ah. Dr. No and from Rush With Love. I would have absolutely loved that. Obviously, they would have recast her because it would have been weird. If, yeah, you, you, know. you don't say. <laughs> but they decided against it because they thought that they'd get a bad reception for the fans uh, for killing her off. I would have absolutely loved that. That would have been like, look... You know, people die in the series. Like, Trench could die. It'd be a great way to pay homage to the whole past, bring back an established character. It means more when she dies because it's like, fuck, they killed Sylvia? Like, an established character? You skip the, like, you know, oh, does Bond really have a connection with Paris kind of a thing? We already know that. Like, Bond aficionados would go into it going, that's Sylvia? Okay, fuck, we already know that they've slept together a bunch of times and that she's she was the go-to chick for a while, whatever. I think it's a massive missed opportunity. Uh, yeah, that would have been a much better thing. And it would have been a way to kind of say these are all still the same characters. Mm-hmm. Relic of the Cold War, all that stuff that they had, like, you know, don't go on a personal vendetta like you might have done in License to Kill kind of a thing. Like, Sylvia Carver, they should have done it. It, it, it would have been a good addition. 
now that you told me about it, it would have been a good way of going about it. The exact same character, but just that name instead. Yeah. Uh, Paris doubles down with, I've made my bed and you don't sleep in it anymore. <laughs> I like that. Love that line. And she tries to pass it off that they're casual acquaintances. Uh, he dated my roommate in Zurich kind of a thing. And uh, Here's a little weird thing. There's a little jab where Carver says uh, he's thinking about getting Wei Lin behind a news desk. And Paris says, I'm sure she won't resist too much. I always thought that that was a little bit weird. I think, I guess she's giving off some kind of indication that she knows that Carver sleeps around. Right with anchors and stuff like that, but she tolerates it because she's got a lot, her lifestyle. I don't think that, I don't think we ever supposed to get the impression that she enjoys being with Carver. I think it's more of a case that she really doesn't like the way that Bond ended the relationship. And so she's more trying to convince herself. Yeah. That she's happy with Carver when we know that she isn't based on that um, exchange. And, yeah, and she, of course, later on, we're going to see that she's just, like, very easily, like, oh, I'm going to fuck Bond. <laughs> so, like, and she's very much like, yeah, I'm with him because I'm taken care of kind of thing. Mm-hmm. I could drink his champagne instead of her tequila. So, so next bit is really classic Bond. Because Bond basically says, hey, you know that shit thing that happened? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> No, no transparency. Oh, full transparency, I mean. Just, hey, you know, so tell me about uh, some of the stuff you're into. You're like, I don't know, like uh, sinking ships and stuff. <laughs> like, <laughs> I, I didn't like that. Like, it was. Uh, yeah, I just didn't like that. It could have been done in a subtle, more subtle way. Um, but it is. Bond's, you know, he's got that arrogance to him. Just, hey, my name's James Bond. I can look it up into any kind of, uh, you know, system. I'm a secret agent, not a banker. <laughs> yeah, they've done that in old movies as well, where Bond has just been so nonchalant about the fact that he knows what this person's up to. Yeah, I think yeah he tries but, to do it yeah. to get. I think he does it to try and get them off their game. Because I think he just doesn't expect that he expects them to. In, at least the way that's I'm trying to justify it beyond the fact that Bond just thinks that he can do anything and he's completely untouchable. Oh, which oh maybe yeah, is the argument of that. Yeah, but it's more of a case of I just think nobody expects him to just come out and start saying this stuff. And maybe he thinks that that's going to get them off balance. Get them to slip up on something. Yeah. Uh, he, yeah, uh, just called himself. Waylon asks what kind of banking he specializes in. And he says, hostile takeovers. <laughs> uh, he gets taken to the back for an urgent phone call. Of course, it's a trap with them beating down on him. Uh, and this is soundproof room. So we get some kind of interesting fight sequence like that. He takes them all out, starts fucking with Carver's broadcast. You know, it's time for, uh, Station break kind of a thing. I like how when the woman that's controlling everything, then she's just like, oh my God, like the, the satellite went down and whatever, the feed's down. And Carver's just like, what? You're fired. Fuck you. And she's, uh, sorry, everybody. Uh, <laughs> kind of a thing. That's that's very much reality right there. Mm-hmm. And of course, Bond couldn't resist doing that kind of thing just to be like, you know. Yeah, mess about with him. Yeah, Let fuck him with him in some fashion. He's, he's in control of all this stuff. Yeah. And credit to him, he's not a dumbass. Like, he immediately goes to Paris and is like, so what's up with your friend? Mm. Making a mess here. Who is he for real? I, I enjoy that. No, I also appreciate Bond drinking tequila in his hotel room. Yeah, he's just... 
sitting down, looking at his door, drinking away, putting the silencer on his gun. It's another moment I really like. It's just like more character stuff. You know, Bond probably does that all the time. Well, I just appreciate this tequila because even though yeah. like I said it would be better with the Sylvia Trench thing because you know there's that established history there for people that have watched the Bond franchise all the way through or more Bond aficionados. But in this case, it just it at least just gives you a glimpse of the fact that he clearly there's clearly some unresolved mm. feeling there towards Paris because he's just trying to, I guess, take some kind of memory. By showing what they what they assumedly did when they first met, which is basically drink themselves under the table in tequila and fuck. Right. That's like that's like Bond. Like yeah, that's like that's I, I'm feeling closer to you, yeah. and I have these unresolved feelings, so I'm just gonna drink your drink, kind of a thing. Yeah. Yeah. I I and love it, that. That's a great little touch. And it's one of those things where it's like he's alone. You know, he doesn't have to put on a show for anybody. Maybe he's thinking. About, you know, hey, I was married. Mm-hmm. Now I'm not, and I can't get close to anybody. Start to psychoanalyze the character a little bit, but little moments like this actually help build the story when sometimes the actual story is just focused on, hey, how can we get to the part where Bond fucks quicker? Yeah, and like 18 movies deep into this kind of a thing, you're well into being able to psychoanalyze deeper scenes of just... So I'm sure, like, my friend Matt at the time was just sort of like, oh, Bond's drinking and, you know, he's waiting for the girl to come in kind of a thing. Whereas you watch the movies and you get to that point and you go, like, okay, what's this character thinking at this point? He's thinking, I had something going with Paris there. I ended up focusing more on the job, like Trevelyan was saying. It's it's never about the friends. It's always about the mission. I miss my wife. Maybe I should settle down. This sucks. Maybe I should just shoot myself kind of a thing. Like, yeah. You know, Bond is such a great character. It's, I've I've written papers about him. I don't keep them anymore. I did them for college and stuff. But uh, what do you mean? I've written papers about him. How many words was your uh, Golden Eye Notes, pal? That's true. Yeah, it was a uh, seven thousand words for just Golden Eye Notes. Um, but I I had um I had a uh God what was it like a an English comp class or something like that in college where we only had one test and one essay. And I chose to do my essay on um, on Bond of, uh, I forget the name of it. It was something like, um, oh, I'm blanking on the, the it's, a, it's a writer's term, like a, oh, the um, James Bond is uh, the, bi- the perfect Byronic hero, I think was the name of it. And it was just settling into this whole idea of the Byronic hero. It's a, we're not going to get into that. <laughs> we make 20 more minutes of this podcast kind of just getting into literary terms. Um, I wish I would have kept that, though. Anyway, uh, he reaches for the gun and we see somebody walk in and it's Paris. She says she used to look in the papers every day for his obituary. And he says, well, sorry to keep disappointing you. That might be his best one-liner ever because it's so just like yeah i know doesn't it suck that i'm not dead yet yeah it's it's sad isn't it it's just like because you know it's got like a little bit of like a, a the tension behind it but it's also kind of like there's multiple times in the series where bond's just sort of like guess i'll die you know like uh she says what what was it james did i get too close did i get too close for comfort and he says yes it's like yeah you can read into that as being like, is this post Tracy? Where it's just like, that's feeling too real. 
And I love the music in this scene. It's actually a theme for Paris, which David Arnold does. In all his movies, he's like, this is the theme for so-and-so. And it's just so good. Ugh. Oh, I forgot to mention, uh, between this and the part with the professor, you can tell that one of Brosnan's kinks is biting someone's shoulder for whatever reason. <laughs> he does it with Terry Hatcher, and he does it with... Uh, uh, the model's name who plays the professor I'm forgetting her name uh, Cecilia something or whatever but he, for both of them he yep. goes out of his way when he's like uh, you know making out with them to bite their shoulder I don't know there's <laughs> something I noticed a long long time ago where I'm like okay <laughs> everybody's got their things um Gupta shows Carver the footage of Paris talking about the gun under the pillow, not sleeping in the same bed anymore and all that. Like I said, this scene was not originally supposed to be a part of this. They were going to film some other stuff, and then they were like, let's film this instead, and let's add that scene into there. He also points out Gupta's law of creative anomalies. If it sounds too good to be true, it always is. Bond's got a spotless record as a banker, so of course, that dude's not a banker, (laughs) you know? I've used the uh, Gupta's law of creative anomalies to bullshit with other people before. And if, like, of course people don't know that it's a tomorrow never dies thing, but I'll, I'll be just like for my own amusement, like chit chatting with somebody during like small talk conversation. And I'll be like, well, you know, I mean, Gupta's law of creative anomalies. If it's too good to be true, it is. And people will just be like, yeah, yeah, you know, whatever. <laughs> they just, yeah, that sounds smart. <laughs> like, fuck, that's the most you thing ever. <laughs> <laughs> say that to the people that are like um yeah so what do you do for a living and like those kind of stupid conversations you get into that nobody questions it oh i'll have to look up gupta's love (laughs) (laughs) so fun doing that kind of shit uh he says the ominous line i think we should set an appointment for my wife with the doctor i'm gonna get back to him he's so cool uh, Paris, kind of dumb, says uh, nobody can protect her from her husband, even when Bond offers to get her out of the country for four hours. I'm pretty sure that you should try, but, hours. you know, whatever. Um, but she's loyal. That's good. She tells Bond about the secret hatch uh, for this lab that she's not supposed to know about, but um, she Who does exactly know about is it. she loyal to? Bond. Oh, well. <laughs> she helps but, him uh, out. Yeah. yeah. Well, I guess, like, the most loyal person. Well, I guess kind of like in her mind, the only way that she really can escape Carver is to... Basically, she's going to hold him off pretty much and hope that she can hold him off for a little while and then Bond can kill him and then yeah. she can be with Bond. Do you know why uh, she knows about the secret hatch? Because she's a hatcher. Terry Hatcher? <laughs> nah, nah. Good, good, Callum. He got me on that one. Good. Ten points again. She says, uh, this job of yours is murder on relationships. Back to the song. And here I thought that Solitaire was the only prophet. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so I guess at this point, because obviously we're going to see her again, but not in a, not in a living state. <laughs> That's a good way of wording it. <laughs> so me and Rob were discussing this at one point, like, uh, just a while. It's, do we think that Paris should have been the main Bond girl? I do. I do. I, I, t- I, I go back and forth with it, really. 
because I think it's more impactful that she dies rather than Waylon dying. Just because there's again they've established more of a connection between Bond and Paris, so it means more when Paris dies. Whereas if they did stuff with Waylon earlier on and Waylon died, I don't think it lands as heavily. But then again, nothing with Waylon really does land super heavily as we'll go on through in the rest of the movie. But I I think that to add a bit of emphasis to the movie, I think it was probably in in overall the right decision to have Paris be the one that dies. I will uh I guess kind of spoil this. I don't I don't have any plans to do anything with this. I think a great way to end this franchise if this would have been Sylvia and she survives and Bond ends up with her. And that's the end. That would be a great ending because of it's full circle. It comes back to the very first, you know, Bond, James Bond kind of a thing. And the very first movie, the very first introduction of that character. I really, I wouldn't have wanted to see Tomorrow Never Dies be the last Bond film. But like, if they want to do that at some point and just go, you know what, we're done with it. I want them to bring Sylvia back. And I want that to be that kind of a thing. I think that that is the only way to really get around that. Because I don't want them to just like, you know... Tracy suddenly was brought back to life with a miracle formula or like some kind, you know, but, or just some random Bond girl. Like if he would have ended up with, I don't know, uh, say Stacy Sutton, I'd be like, what? That's how it ends? No, come on. But Sylvia pulling the whole Paris thing and doing that, I think that could have been a damn good ending in some ways. I can see the argument for Waylon though. Just in, like you said, it it's more impactful to kill off Paris than it would have been to kill off Waylon. Yeah, and also because they've established, I, I mean, I do like your idea of if it is Sylvia Trench to have that like go full circle, but I do because they've established that there's like this more of a. It, it seems like they're trying to establish it's a deeper relationship to Bond than a lot of the other things that he's had in the past. So if you have her survive you have to come up with some reason why she's not in the next movie. Mm -hmm. You have to either kill her off in the next movie at the beginning of it, or you have to say that, like, I don't know. You couldn't even say, like, well, it didn't work out, because it would be like, oh, you're just, what the hell? And and based on what we know about the production, Terry Hatcher was not coming back. Yeah. (laughs) So, so, yeah, I I think overall it just made more sense to have her die in this one. As much as she probably was the more impactful character of the two of them apparently also in the book the novelization for this they toss out a thing where they say um natalia married a hockey player just because the hmm. uh, isabel skrupko married a hockey player and they were like oh that'd be kind of fun <laughs> they actually thought about having her pop up in this too of having her be the paris role where it's like that's what she's up to now is that she's uh, married Talia Carver, but then they were like, "That doesn't make any sense." Yeah, it'd be like, I mean, I know there's no like super chronology in this stuff, but the movie's two years apart, and at that time she's married a media mogul, right? Like, that yeah. she's broken off things with Bond, married a media guy, hates him, and you know, and also remind her. It's like that's a fucking year and a half ago, <laughs> like you yeah, know, that kind of thing. Like, you remember that beach? <laughs> Killer, she means nothing to me, too. <laughs> Just go back into that. 
so Bond does, you know, that little thing, breaks into the lab. Good little stealth scene. I like that quite a bit. Spy stuff. Yeah. There's spy stuff in this spy movie. <laughs> yeah. I like that he, uh, they have like, um, he uses a taser uh, from his phone to fry the lock on the door. They've got a passage of time where he's scoping out the room and then eventually they show that he's just like sitting in a chair revolving around just being like, oh, fuck, am I going to find anything? So he, clearly he's been there for a little while and it's not that it's taking up 20 minutes worth of time like it does in an emergency secret service or that kind of thing. But he finds a safe that he uses the fingerprint scanner for, so very useful. And in the safe there's needles and drugs, <laughs> some cash, Realism. Porn magazines? Realism? Yep, realism. <laughs> Who the hell puts porn mags in a safe? Gupta. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> like, first off, I mean, it's a different era. Like, just, you know, nowadays, it's like, let's go click on the internet. You know, they don't have it as much back then. But, like, if you've got the magazines or whatever back then, you're putting it in the safe? <laughs> like... Well, you don't want anyone stealing them. them, do you? Yeah, you're hiding them. It's like national treasure type shit. You know, oh, I got this gold brick and I don't have any room for it because I got my porn bags in the safe. <laughs> uh, I never understood that idea. I thought it's funny, though. Like, Gupta's got, you know, the, his pride and joy, his treasures of his, uh, um, whatever you would want to call them. Uh, Those are his booby prizes. <laughs> He's got the GPS device in there. Oh, he ought to also mention, of course, uh, at one point that um, don't touch the satellite costs $300 million. So, of course, it gets ruined by Bond. <laughs> you know? Just throws it down. <laughs> yeah, because why not? That's what I would do too. Why not? Well, because Bond hears someone when he's about to, when he's leaving the place, and then he goes to the door and it's wailing, bursting through, and she immediately sets off all the alarms. Yeah. And I, I, I'm just thinking about this now, and this would be just completely impossible to do but when i saw that thing happen and then we also see them meet up later on in the movie in, in other uh in another uh element of the movie i would just love to see a secondary movie which is this entire movie from waylin's perspective yeah <laughs> that'd be kind of fun just meets meets up with him in different uh situations and then eventually they get to working together but before that she's just doing a load of her own spy stuff so, so they definitely quite... They definitely wanted her to have a movie. And then they backed out at the last minute, but they were considering making her like a spin-off character of Bond. Yeah. I mean, I'm sure that they wouldn't have just done like a reshot thing, but that would have been like one of those cool film exercise type things if they would have shot even like a couple more scenes to kind of make like a mini movie out of it. That'd be cool. And like, we know that she's got gadgets. We know that we got this, like, She's climbing down the side of the building like it's nothing at all while Bond's being shot at, you know? Yeah, by the people with stormtrooper writers. Yeah, of course. Bond eventually knocks a guy into a printing press. And we see the newspapers turn red with his blood and he just decides to quit. Oh, they'll print anything these days. (laughs) It's a good quip. (laughs) One of the best. I fucking love that. That's so good. I love when, like, you can tell that the Bond character laughs at his own jokes. Like, 
I mean, that part in Fear Eyes Only where it's like, don't talk unless you have to. Oh, I hope that the shark uh, was, is full or whatever. That's it. You know, already ate his lunch. Ha ha ha. Kind of thing. Because <laughs> like, Bond clearly says these jokes for his own amusement. Nobody's listening to him. <laughs> I also love that after he does that and like he's cleared out the other goons, he decides he's going to walk out. Oh, I love that. It's just this relaxed music, calm stuff. Nope, gunshot. They're still on his ass. (laughs) That's so good. Yeah, he dives onto a trolley, rolls out of the room. That part I don't really like. (laughs) I I mean, I I know it's a little bit. That's a little bit corny, but you've got to throw some more like elements into this. That's uh the little scooter thing is kind of like the the elephant kicks J W Pepper off the thing, you know. Uh, He gets he gets a call from Carver. He says, "You have two things that belong to me: the red box and my wife in your hotel room." So Bond's like, "Mm, "Fuck." And when he goes there, he locks the GPS in the car, gets a gun, puts on the car security. At the hotel room, the TV's on, and they're conveniently reporting the death of Paris Carver. She was found dead in a hotel room with an unidentified man who appears to have been killed by a self-inflicted gun wound. Paris is there, on the bed, dead. Of course, Bond's like, you know, all distraught about it, because this is like one of his top-tier love interests and everything. But he doesn't get a whole lot of room to, or room of time to go and dwell over those kind of things because there's a dude there with a gun trained on him. And this guy is Dr. Kaufman, played by Vincent Chevelli, who you've seen in a million things and don't know who he is by me just saying his name. Guaranteed. He is one of those guys that everybody goes, oh, fuck that guy. I mean, if you go on his Wikipedia page, his filmography has three sections to it because this guy is all over the place. He was in One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest. He was in Ghost. He was in Fast Times at Ridgemont High. Uh, Amadeus. Better Off Dead. Uh, What else we got here? Batman Returns. And it's not like he's playing like the main guy. He's not Batman and that or whatever. He's the organ grinder in the uh, the Red Triangle Circus. He's in Three Ninjas Knuckle Up, Escape to Witch really? Mountain. Uh, he's in The People versus Larry Flint. Uh, I'm just, I literally was just going to say he's in Tomorrow Never Dies, which is like that's really fucking stupid. <laughs> Casper meets Wendy. Uh, Man on the Moon. The Kaufman movie? Yeah. Uh, what? He played um, Maynard Smith, the ABC executive. He voiced Mr. Bailey in the Hey Arnold movie. He's uh, he's a buddy Ding Dong and Death the Smoochie. This dude is all over the place, and he's fucking awesome. That's I cool, love Kaufman. He's made a comfortable living, been in great franchises, I could still probably eat lunch at yep. a cafe somewhere. He'd be one of those guys that people go, Is that dude, do I know that dude? Have I seen that dude in something? Nah, probably not. He probably just looks like somebody. And instead it's like, you know, he's been in this and that and that and that and that and that. Where eventually if you'd see him in a movie, like you'd pop on Batman Returns, you'd be like, oh, fuck, Dr. Kaufman, you know? 
He's a delight, yeah? <laughs> so, this is one of my favourite scenes in the entire franchise so far. Mm-hmm. I, I can't say enough good things about this entire scene. I adore this scene. This is fucking great. So, it, it, it starts off with Bond finding Paris dead, and you have the news report, and you hear Bond here about the fact that it's all about another man lying in the bed beside him, and then immediately you see the gun pointed at the back of his head. And then Kaufman just is so, he's so Bond villain mm-hmm. that he just explains how fucking good he is at everything, <laughs> how he can make, like, it was the idea of, like, how he's um, uh, great at celebrity overdoses. And yeah. How he's, like, an awesome marksman. Like, he could be, like, a mile away and he could still make Bond look like he committed, like, a self-claimed suicide with a gun pointed at his own head or something. It's just, like, he's just talking about how amazing he is at everything. At the same time, this goon squad, is trying to break into Bond's car and it's failing miserably at it and they're getting electric shocked all the time and they can't break the glass and they're just failing at every part of it. And so just as Kaufman is like, he's, he's, he's done talking and he's about to just finish Bond off, he gets a phone call from Star, from uh, from Stamper saying like, okay, you've got, um, got a bit of an issue, guys can't get into the car. And I just love the transition <laughs> when he just goes like, oh, this is uh, rather embarrassing. <laughs> yeah. just, I feel like an idiot. I don't know what to say. <laughs> it's just so, it's so good. It just, I, I, I felt more connected to this guy in this scene than people that have had like two, three, four times the amount of screen time in Bob mm-hmm. movies. He's, he's on screen for less than five minutes, it feels like. But he just, he just exudes everything you want to see in a Bond villain. Yeah, because every every bit of what he does has value to it. Like you said, like Bond's like, and it's it's a good Bond scene too because yeah, Bond a really good exchange between two of them. Very like quickly has to think on his feet about like, wait a minute, they're reporting on the death and they say it's an unarmed man and he's got uh, a suicide going on. Okay, well fuck, and I'm distraught, but I'm gonna work my way through this. And he, hey, you, you know, you can't really shoot me from that position make it look like a suicide and Kaufman's just I'm a professor of foreign, uh, forensic medicine I can shoot you from Stuttgart and still make this the proper effect <laughs> like that so you got like a good like quippy kind of thing you mentioned like I'm world renowned I'm especially good at the celebrity overdose <laughs> so it's got the humor in it the goons with the sledgehammers and the crowbars and then the, the switching over to the humor with that uh I feel like an idiot I'm so like because there's so many villains in the series that are like, let me show Bond how cool I am. And let me, like, you know, uh, Scaramanga's like, ah, let's eat some fried mushrooms. And Kananga's just like, ah, Bond, like, you could be a buddy of mine and whatever. And Kaufman's just like, there's this professional respect where it's just like, oh, God, I'm going to kill James Bond. And they're making me seem like an idiot beforehand. I- I'm sorry. <laughs> Bond plays his hand really well, too. He says about the cell phone and unlocking it. It's very reminiscent of the briefcase thing from From Russia With Love, where it's like, if you just whatever, no, 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 I'll I'll do it. You know, Bond's a little too, like, he plays into that same trope. Exactly. And uh, he says, uh, hit recall three, send. And that triggers the taser. Bond's able to grab the gun. Still has that in Kaufman's hand and puts it to his head. Kaufman says, uh, please, I'm just a professional doing a job. And Bond just coldly says, me too. Blam! There's your identified man with a self-inflicted gun wound. It's like, whoever wrote this scene 
write the rest, like kind of a thing, you know, like because it's yeah, just, just it's like perfect. No, no, yeah, it's like it's just everything. It just capsulates in one small section. It's like it's the perfect Bond short film almost. Yeah, that's like, a good way to put that. Yeah, it's just like he's in this small, he's in this environment, and just you get everything that you want out of Bond and a villain that he's working with, a villain that's so self-assured of his own abilities, someone who just who clearly loves the sound of his own voice and Bond plays into that. Bond talks about how he isn't going to be able to do the job and stuff like that. And then that encourages the guy to keep talking about it. Then, oh my God, something hilariously goes wrong in a life or death situation for Bond for the other guy. And so he has to basically play into Bond's hand. Bond thinks on his feet and he gets this, he knows he has a tool that he can use to do that, but he has to get the guy to essentially fall into his own trap by saying, no, I'm going to do it instead, instead of you doing it because you're going to do something shifty. And so Bond decides, okay, I'm going to make you do the shifty thing to yourself by electric shocking yourself. And then you get the cold edge of Bond as well, where he basically the guy's done. He's dead to rights. He's like begging for mercy. And Bond just, Bond's a professional. He's got a license to kill. And so he's not going to let this person like survive, especially after he killed Paris as well. And so even though obviously he's just like one professional doing a job, you know, there's a, again, there's that personal animosity when he delivers that as well. It just, again, it's just so well contained. It's it, it, again, it's one of the best scenes in the entire franchise to me. It just mm -hmm. again, can't say enough good things about it. But it, it ends weirdly. I'll say that, which is Bond essentially yeah. French kiss in the neck of a dead woman. <laughs> yeah, that's a little, I can do without that. Maybe a, a little tamer of a kiss. You know, just like was, a. I think that was Pierce Brosnan, like, doing a, a rib on Hatcher. <laughs> it's great if there's, like, an audio cut of that where he just goes, <laughs> or something. <laughs> <laughs> can you imagine? Or he does the <laughs> kind of thing, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and then they just go, Pierce, damn it. You know, that would be more of a Roger Moore thing that he would have done that. And then he goes, I wish you were dead. <laughs> like, yeah. So yeah. <laughs> but yeah, this scene, I literally don't think that there's practically anything that's in the series that doesn't get checked off, except for the fact that you can't incorporate, like, you know, Money Penny's not in the scene, Q's not in the scene, but you get a Q branch gadget. You know, M's not in the scene, but that would be weird if she was just there, you know. Although she is going to be the main Bond girl in another movie. Uh, we'll get into that. Um, it, it's just, it's such a great scene. And it leads into another great scene, too. The car chase inside the parking garage. Great car chase. Bond yeah. steering the car from the cell phone remote control while he's in the back seat. We got okay. machine guns, rockets, grenades, a buzzsaw that cuts through the cable. We got these little spikes that... Bond eventually runs over himself and then he, the tires reinflate and he giggles at it. <laughs> yeah. Haha, <laughs> <laughs> I've got all the gadgets to do deal with this situation. Right. Uh, there's one thing I don't like about this. Too and happy? It happens really on, early on, which is the um, the windshields go out immediately. I know uh, that's good for, I know that's for the bazooka aspect yeah. of it and we'll get to that side of it. But it's just, the goons just spend like, 10 minutes trying to break into your car and they didn't try and shoot out the windows. Yeah, I guess that's... Because uh... they, they start shooting at it and the windows break. Just like, oh, <laughs> why did we try that before? Yeah, the sledgehammers, the crowbars. They're not doing we're, it, but... We're dumb. <laughs> Another great musical track, too. 
anybody wants to listen to that one, you were going to give your ear something really good to listen to. It's really good. And uh, Bond jumps out of the car, takes it to the top of the parking garage, and sends it flying across the street into an Avis rental place. Horribly reckless. <laughs> he could have killed he, so many people. <laughs> he knew it was empty. <laughs> I, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> or he just doesn't care. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, he doesn't more like But he's I he's like, happy with himself, too. Like, he just is sort of like, you know, ah, like chef's kiss kind of a thing. I I have to say, because at this point, it reached the, like, I think it was about the hour mark This at this point ended. I think this is the best hour of any Bond movie that I've seen so far. Really? I thought it was so... I was laughing. I was... Like just watching it, I was enjoying the, the the fight scenes and the chase scenes. I was enjoying the the, the 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 romance they established with Paris. The Q scene was amazing. The stuff at the start of it was really good. Good points, yeah. I love the theme song. It's just, I was just, I I was watching this thinking, how is this not better than Goldeneye? And then the second half happened. And then, pretty much with the next scene starts that second half, yeah. Yeah, and it's just. Like, again, it's it's not my top movie. I still, just to spoil it, I have it ranked above Golden. I still just because I was so in love with that first hour, just I just loved every second of that first hour. And the second one, it takes a bit of a, a nosedive, not enough to like obviously ruin the entire experience for me. But I just thought everything in the first half of it was just just excellent, excellent Bond movie. It's funny because this movie, and I'll talk about it when I come to my ranking. This is a movie that I shift more than any other movie, probably. This perpetually goes to from one of my favorites to one that I'm like, that's kind of shit. And then I watch it and I go, that's actually better than I thought. And then I watch it again and I go, well, I don't like this part. And then I go, well, but I love that part. It it is one that bounces around for me quite a bit. I'm not going to spoil where I have it on my ranking, but um, even then I might end up bumping it up. I'm not entirely sure. Uh, unfortunately, though, that next scene does start switching things over. We get a U.S. air base in the South China Sea. Bond in full commander regalia, which we don't see a lot often, meets up with Jack Wade, CIA, who greets him with, yo, Jimbo. So he's full-blown new Felix. And I would have been cool with seeing him more. We never see him anymore in the series. Should killed Felix. <laughs> I did. Just saying, if you weren't gonna bring back Felix, you killed him. Uh, in I think it's this book, they say that Felix, or it, it might have been in another book, they say that Felix is working for a detective agency. After all that stuff, and they say it's a specific detective agency, but I can't remember the name of it. Some kind of like well-known thing or something. I think it starts with an R. I don't know. Um. Jack Wade, though, he says, uh, now the U.S. isn't officially doing anything about this, but, you know, they've got no interest in seeing World War III unless we start it. <laughs> it's a very apropos line, right? Really? Yeah, that was, that was fake. <laughs> uh, they recalibrate some things. They find out that the Devonshire uh, sank in a particular location, and in order to get to it, Bond's going to have to do a halo jump. He could die of asphyxiation, with, <laughs> which Wade says, sounds like my first marriage. <laughs> <laughs> just recurring jokes about his marriages and everything. No uh, gardening jokes in this one, though. And I guess uh, they killed that uh, 
trope, didn't they? Yeah. After the free fall, he has to pop his parachute and cut it at a precise moment where he's going to drown or crack his head open on the air tank and all. Sounds awful. And he's also jumping into Vietnamese waters. And he's got U.S. government markings all over the place. So if he's caught, well, pretty much Vietnam War number two. <laughs> I like that little touch. It's like, you know, hey, uh, we're, we're going to be in Vietnamese waters. Uh, has he got any kind of U.S. stuff? Uh, the helmet, uh, the scuba gear, the whatever. Fuck. <laughs> kind of oh, no, what I really like about this uh, next scene is just when, when him just skydiving. It's completely silent. Just him falling through the sky. There's no music. Now, this is a point where I didn't notice the music because there's none. <laughs> just, the, just him falling through the sky. I just love that. So atmospheric. There's no bum 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 Yeah, you just you just see him go and it's just it's yeah, it's just I don't say it adds a bit of jeopardy to it because it doesn't really, but it's just like you don't need music there. Yeah. Let the sounds of him falling play out. And I just love the fact they went with that approach rather than just overthinking it with putting some sort of soundtrack to it. And we're back in Thunderball and Free Eyes Only territory with some underwater stuff. He and uh, Waylon almost get trapped. But, you know, they don't because that'd be the end of the film. <laughs> Imagine we, that. We just talk about the fact that Waylon just turned up scuba diving in the same area. Exact same time, too. Yeah. Yeah. A little too convenient, but, you know, Bond film. It's not like these are going to be uh, written with, like, the most nuance of, like, let's go over the script and let's make sure that that's kind of a thing, you know? I thought this, the impression was that they were communicating. And they were, you know, working together. No, not at that point. Yeah, but yeah, at that point they're still working separately. That's again, that's why you need that separate movie of just what way Lynn's up to, because we don't really find out why she was there at the exact same time. Or how she figured it out. Hmm. They get captured by Stamper and his men. That <laughs> God damn it. My note my notes say <laughs> the next section is la 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 Miss Saigon. <laughs> <laughs> I forgot about really? <laughs> What's wrong with you? Good <laughs> old family guy joke. Um, next scene starts off uh, pretty poor in my mind. They try to cram three jokes in a row and none of them land, especially because they didn't realize that they used the same beginning twice. Waylon says, if I didn't know any better, I'd say you were following me around. Bond, that's not a bad line. It's just not great. Bond shows off that they're handcuffed together and he says, uh, I think we've developed a certain attachment for each other. If you keep it at that, that's okay. But then Bond says, if I didn't know any better, I'd say he's developed an edifice complex. Two out of three lines in a row start off with, if I didn't know any better, I'd say. Well, they clearly don't know any better, Tony. Like, I think that's intentional. The edifice complex line is also fine enough for like the building shot, you know, Oedipus complex, Oedipus complex. It's trying too hard, but it's like, it's like the one from uh, Diamonds Are Forever of the elementary, my dear Felix, where it's like, I'm sure 90 something percent of the people that are in the movie have no idea what the fuck that joke is about. Uh, A movie in the theater, I mean, um, but uh, like 
that's the sort of thing that you catch in the second pass where you go, hey, maybe I should have the line say something else or whatever. Like, you can have just, as a writer, it bugs me. If I didn't know any better, I'd say you were following me around. Well, we've developed a certain attachment to each other. They show the building and he goes, looks to me like Carver's developed an edifice complex. That's better. Because it's just, it doesn't start off with, if I didn't know any better. It's kind of like one of those things where you know that some people say certain, instead of saying like, um, they tend to use certain phrases. The writer must have the whole like, I don't know how to start a joke without, if I didn't know any better kind of a thing. There might even be another, if I didn't know any better elsewhere in the movie. I'm not entirely sure. It might be only like the, like the party scene or something. Well, I, I, I think it's an intentional inclusion. I think that they decided that, oh, because she started that line with that thing, that means the next time Bond speaks, he'll use the exact same line as well. As in, like, like uh, again, trying to show some sort of um, connection between the two because they're basically it's like, oh, if I didn't know any better, I think you're following me around. Then later on, Bond says, well, if I didn't know any better. Like, oh, like if he would have enunciated, if I don't, yeah. didn't know yeah, any, yeah, like, then that would have been a little better. Should, should be better, yeah. Kind of, um, I forget the term, mirroring? Mm. Like uh, the whole, you know, parroting, pretty much. Yeah. Parroting, yeah. Where you're trying to show a connection with somebody by doing some of the same mannerisms that they're doing. You know, if they mm. they lean on their right side and you are standing next to them and you lean on their right side, they're going to have more of a psychological connection to you, kind of a thing. Or you could be somebody like me who just throws out the Gupta's thing when you're talking to people and just kind of makes themselves laugh. <laughs> um, at Carver's building. Waylon sees General Chang, who, as I mentioned before, I think that a better version of this movie incorporates a little bit more of General Chang. Uh, Carver is writing up their obituaries, and he's trying to play it off like they've been, uh, they've been trying to play it off like they're working together, and that they know what he's up to with General Chang. He's just like, mm, no, you don't. <laughs> uh, Carver shows off some of his headlines, including, the Empire will strike back, which he says, Rather proud of that one. It's not even mine. <laughs> yeah, very good. And for any kids out there like Tom Holland, this is obviously a reference to the good sequel to Star Wars. Instead of how, you know, The Force Awakens was a poor man's new hope, followed up by uh, The Last Jedi, which is a mess. Uh... <laughs> well, the Attack of the Clones. Which is, which the is sad thing is, I'll, I'll pull the curtain back a little bit. We're recording this on Friday, May 7th. We were supposed to record this on May 4th, and I was prepared for a ton of Last <laughs> Jedi sucks. It probably would have happened then, yeah, if I wouldn't have had the... Uh, maybe that's why the universe was like, you're having internet issues. <laughs> Don't do a whole lot of Star Wars references in this, Tony. Uh, yeah, uh, those sequels suck. Um, so <laughs> Carver <laughs> also says that uh, the distance between insanity and genius is measured only by success. That's a Vince McMahon line, I thought. Very much so. You're you're crazy enough until you succeed, then people go, "You're brilliant," and it's which true. Is, which is sadly true, actually. It's a hundred percent true. I just love the um, things where he says, like, obviously, I think we met, met, you referenced it earlier about the words of the new weapons, satellites, and new artillery. But mm-hmm. then he also says he's going to reach more people than God himself, pretty much. <laughs> and then he even throws a jab at God. He says, even then, God only uh, accomplished a sermon on the mount. <laughs> and Bonner says, you're inside. 
that line about the uh, words and weapons and artillery and all that, that's how they sold the pitch of the movie. It was just like, how about that is the story? And they're like, sounds kind of cool. I am sold. Yeah. Um, Dr. Kaufman was like a father to Stamper. Sad. Probably was uh, filming his snuff films. And he plans on torturing Bond and Waylon for over 52 hours. Very specific. Bond and Lynn shoot up the place. They uh, toss, he tosses the torture tool into Stamper's leg, which he no sells at all. Cause he's, you know, super strong German blonde guy with a black shirt. No selling for anybody who's not a wrestling fan is a wrestling term. It means like uh, doesn't react. Go to smartcutmoment.com. You'll find out all that stuff. And they make their escape by hanging onto the banner of the side of the building and rappelling downward, which is a cool stunt that can't possibly fucking work. Yeah, and there's your bad CGI for the film. Yep. Yeah, that, yeah this was really bad. <laughs> there's a featurette on the DVD. I don't know if it's on the Blu-ray that I have, but the old DVD that I used to have, where they go off about like how great the CGI is. <laughs> and it's like, yeah, it's dated, you know. Back in the day, that- they thought that the uh, Ang Lee Incredible Hulk looked good. <laughs> Two things. First of all, I, I, again, I, I like the reference of like the um, Stamper saying Calvin's record with the torture was fifty-two hours, and he's hoping to break it. And he says it's so deadpan as well. Just love that. But then, just the leaping down the banner. I think again, another wrestling reference here. If you guys want to check out Smallgate moment, I think they switched over the uh, production issues to Kevin Dunn right here because there's <laughs> like camera cut. There's so many camera cuts, and it's absolutely nauseating. Yeah, it would be significantly cooler if it was like one shot. Like the jump off the dam in Goldeneye looks so cool because it's a real guy jumping off of a real dam and he's really doing the rappelling and the bungee jump and whatever. And obviously this isn't a real stunt, but if they could have figured out a way to make it look like that, I think that would have been kind of cool. Like uh, some kind of helicopter shot or something where you can see them like you spin around instead of cutting or something. And I'm not a director. I don't know how to do that shit. There's one point in my life where I'm like, I think I want to be a director. And then I started looking into like camera lenses and everything. And I'm like, ah, nope. <laughs> I'm more of a storyteller than a, you know, I'm not going to get into lighting. So there's a moment where they're arguing and Lynn wants to get a car. Bond says that a bike's better because it's faster. And they struggle to get on because both of them wants to be the one driving. Now, the director had told them both ahead of time secretly, whatever you do, don't let the other one on the bike. <laughs> So that's the them being like, actually just being like, all right, for this, like, you know, I'm going to do this and I'm not going to let them on there. And that's the, I, I think that that's the take that they had used of just like, you know, get, get the fuck off, get the fuck off, get the fuck off. Kind of thing. Those two didn't seem to have a problem with each other. Not like that was like a thing with uh, Terry Hatcher and Pierce Brosnan. It seemed like they got along. So. Got to imagine what that scene would have been like if that would have been uh, Hatcher and Brosnan, right? Hey, fuck you. <laughs> be mad at each other. He's like, got it. <laughs> you know, kind of thing. And then since Brosnan didn't know she was pregnant at the time, it's just kind of, you know, would have been awful. And that cues up a pretty innovative chase sequence with, of course, some more great music and awesome rendition of the Bond theme. They're both on the motorcycle, handcuffed. Lynn's controlling the left handle. Bond's on the right. David managed to have her adjust herself a few times. So she's like straddling Bond. So they get a little sex appeal in there. 
great. Love this whole sequence. Yeah. Yeah, yeah I thought for the most part this was really well put together. Um, the dubbing for Wailin <laughs> throughout this entire movie, but this in particular was just like awful like this this is this is parts these these parts of the movie especially in the second half the movie just really bad production aspects of it which just put it down a level for me but the actual stunts themselves them driving through her using a poker to um or some sort of poker device or something like that to knock down some obstacles for the chasing cars leading to crash into a fireworks truck at one point (laughs) hey we're in asia fireworks all over the place um they leap over the chopper through into another building at one point, and then there's just two. There's a couple just having sex in that room. Yeah. And then they just see it. They just see a bike go through, and then the woman just keeps going. Yeah. <laughs> like, okay. just meh. Just an everyday occurrence here. And then, but then, then it gets a little bit absurd for me when they start having the chopper essentially mm. cut its way through a street, <laughs> and everyone's running at a really slow pace, and it goes on for about a minute. This entire thing of just. Bond, Bond and Lynn on the bike going really slowly through a crowd of people while the chopper just slowly approaches them, trying trying desperately, seemingly, not to kill anyone who isn't Bond. <laughs> it's, it's too fantastical to not look at it and go, all right, you wrote this down and said, wouldn't it be cool if we had them getting all diced up by propeller blades and they slide underneath it and they hook it and it, it's explosion and all that. And then you go, yeah, this shit doesn't make sense. <laughs> no, but, no, but here's the piece de resistance of that. So at the end of it, it's Bond and Lynn are on one side of like a square and the chopper's on the other. So they manage to drive straight towards it, skid underneath the chopper blades. So they're just flying underneath it, manage to hook a um like some sort of gra- like makeshift grappling hook to the back of it, which sends it flying around there's more absolutely horrendous camera cuts and then four clearly visible crash test dummies fly into a wall <laughs> it was so it was so bad they couldn't hide the fact it was four mannequins driving into a wall <laughs> it was some so some of the stuff in this yeah just doesn't still hold up even though it's 1997 some of it still was just like you know it's one of those things that I, I kind of forgive it when it was like that that mannequin falling through the sky in um uh, on her Majesty's service because it's the 60s so i know production's gonna be low this is 1997 yeah you, titanic you just did obs- some crazy shit yeah but you can't even obscure like how many camera cuts they were doing it and they decided to keep the camera on when you saw the four dummies just crashing into the wall it's just <laughs> yeah it's just so it's the production was just so bad for a lot of this sequence yeah Space Jam came out what? Like the year before this? <laughs> I was not expecting Space Jam to be the thing you're going to go with. Well, like, like, look, I mean, we can do some pretty impressive shit when we want to in the film industry. <laughs> this ain't it, pal. Yeah, James Bond's arm doesn't extend half a mile in this movie <laughs> no, at all. <laughs> That'd be great if it, like, they're like, oh, man, we got to get rid of this shot of the uh, the crash test dummies, but we can't really superimpose anything over there. Put Marvin the Martian there. <laughs> This angers me, oh, kind of a thing. It was supposed to be a kaboom. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> now I want to see this uh, this Quentin Tarantino directed Arnold Schwarzenegger Space Jam <laughs> Bond film with over Theron. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And Bill Murray. <laughs> you know, it's just where did Bill Murray come from? Space Jam. Why not? 
Oh yeah, <laughs> just him introducing into a Bond movie just with that as Bill Murray, like because yeah, he has to do that. You know, hi, I'm actor Bill Murray. I also trained to be a basketball uh, player for a while. <laughs> uh, so they are able to wash up on the street. Bond says, just off the cuff, I thought we might link up. <laughs> wah, wah. Yep. Waylon unhooks herself, links Bond to a pipe, says she's working alone, and uh, we get another great music track of this calm but wailing guitar and the soft piano playing the Surrender song. One of my absolute favorite tracks in the series. Really, really love that one. Again, everybody, do yourself a favor. Listen to the soundtrack. Watch the movie with the isolated soundtrack, too. It ends up playing off so much better in some certain scenes. And we're already in another action sequence. Now, I don't feel like we would need that sort of beat. I'm not pulling a um, Peters with uh, Kevin Smith here, where it's like, oh, every 15 minutes we need an action scene kind of a thing. But this one showcases Michelle Yeoh's martial arts skills, which Bond completely doesn't possess because he just does punches to the face (laughs) with this. They reiterate that even more. I like the little bit where he pretends to have a lighter and he does like this like magic trick and just punches the dude in the face. It's the second time in the movie that he wanted to illustrate it's a filthy habit to smoke, which definitely don't smoke, kids. There's no benefit to it. But is it the Felix lighter? If it would have been, then the guy would have just been caught up in flames, you know? Totally different Bond, though. We go from the Bond that's like, uh, I- I'll bring my own cigarettes <laughs> and whatever to the one that's like, filthy habit, don't smoke. Punch you in the face. Uh, at this point in the movie, we're it's obvious that, and I'd argue even going forward, Waitlin is the most active, kick-ass woman in the series. Is she the one where it's like, okay, this is actually Bond equal? I'd make more of a case that she is than some of the other ones, for sure. Even when we get to, like, uh, uh, God, what's her face in uh, Die Another Day? Uh, Halle Berry. Halle Berry. Is Jinx the Die Another Day one? Yeah, Jinx, uh, Jordan, I think. No, then a Christmas Jones? No, that's a, that's a, different character in a different movie and a completely different scenario. Not a sequel in anyone. Yeah. They wanted to do a spinoff film. It never came to fruition. And when I talk about like how I don't want No Time to Die to be a scenario where Lashana Lynch's Nomi character is 007 going forward, I don't want anybody to take that in the way of saying that I don't want a spinoff film under any circumstances because I want Bond to remain 007 and to remain the lead character. But if Nomi is great, give me another Nomi film. Just have it be Nomi. She's, I don't know, agent such and such or whatever. whatever. Yeah, make her another double O or something. Like, I could see a cool Wei Lin centric Chinese spy film happening. She's not my favorite character. She's far from it. But those types of movies can be fun and all. I would have definitely watched that hell out of that. Yeah. Yeah. She's very, obviously, she is an action star. She does some really good stunt and stunt work in this thing i think obviously she's and we'll we'll get to it she's lacking in the personality department yeah and that's and that's not an attention on her as an actor it's more of a sense just the way that you portray the character but i feel like they could do some i, I feel like they could have done a really good action movie and then if that had been successful then you could have her just popping up as like a recurring character in the bond series 
She could have been almost like the replacement Felix in some ways. Yeah. But yeah, I, I think it's, I think with her character, especially in this movie, there was a lot of maybe missed opportunity to like build up and establish it a little bit more. I think maybe they had to go too quickly because I mean, this Bond movie comparatively to a lot of Bond movies, it's a very short runtime, under two hours. Yeah, you figure uh, Casino Royale is like two thirty or something. I forget. Yeah, well, a lot of the ones like beforehand, like this is the first Bond movie I think in a long, long time that went under two hours. And so it just feels if they could have had an extra 10 minutes to build up a bit more of a rapport between these two, then that could have really done something for this. But yeah, I think they tried to cram that in too much, the flirtatious aspect with them. And there's also the element of the fact that Waylon, yeah, I don't want to sound harsh or anything like that because it just sounds, she's not, she's not a knockout. She's very attractive, Mm -hmm. not a knockout, that type of thing. She's there because she is very like obviously she's very she's very active and she's and she like tony says and i completely agree she is the most active and resourceful and kick-ass bond girl in the entire franchise so far but bond girls are known for many different factors and one of them is the looks department and she is yeah she's just she's a very nice looking girl yeah it um, it doesn't extend beyond that point on my current ranking, which I keep switching some things here and there, whatever, my current ranking of pure attractiveness on the Bond girls, she is 39. Now, of course, people underneath her on the list are still, you know, attractive. It's like, you know, yeah. you look at like uh, the Apollo Air hostess and uh, Rosie Carver and Dink, you know, whatever, Patricia Fearing, like, Good-looking women, you know. There's only a few that I think are actually not attractive in this series. Waylon, of course, is not like if it, people are naming the top twenty knockout women in the series, people aren't typically mentioning Waylon. They're going for more of Honey Rider. They're going for, uh, you know, um, like Fiona is like a more sex appeal. Domino, Xenia. Plenty of tool, you know, this kind of thing. So that name will never not make me laugh. But plenty of tool. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Named her after yeah. uh, her father, perhaps. And she doesn't really do anything that's in any way, I guess, sexy in the movie. I mean, there's yeah. like the straddling scene, but that's more played for comedy than it is for sex appeal. And I, I guess they think like maybe the shower flirtation thing is kind of like the biggest thing that she gets. The, the, like she wears the that um glitzy dress at the party early on, but outside of that, she's pretty much covered up the entire movie. Yeah, and like the dress in the party scene, it's just like, oh, look at her, she's like dolled up and she looks nice. And as opposed to being like some of these other characters, where it's like, look at this sex pot, you know, kind of a thing. And the flirting with the shower scene is really like. You know, if you're going with like people, typically when they're doing the auditions, they do the scene from From Rush with Love of the the bedroom with Tatiana, and the um, my mouth is too big. Oh, it's the right size for me at least. That kind of thing. Like you get a more steamy scene like that, as opposed to Bond goes here. Let me grab soap and wash your hair. <laughs> like it's they don't play her as being like one of the more sexual characters, but. 
even more of the reason that they could have made her a spinoff movie where she could have had her character more fleshed out and maybe maybe she's not the yeah you know, she doesn't have to be bond you know but she could be a different type of thing and she could have her own we see in his like she's got her own gadgets she's, she's got a q branch in some way uh I like that like Bond doesn't know how to operate the computer because the keyboard's not in English, so he's just like, mm, you do it. <laughs> he he's accidentally time with the wrong tongue. <laughs> yeah, he accidentally touches a statue that's got a flamethrower to it. He says, um he uses a fan that's got these projectiles and he says he's always been a fan of Chinese technology. Yeah, you know, more goofing around or whatever. Uh, there's a new watch. There's a little inflatable. I don't know what the inflatable thing is that Waylon uses to knock out the goon. I never quite understood that. It's like she presses a button that shoots out there. What the fuck's the purpose of that? Like, I don't know. It's like how inviting goes. <laughs> that happened to be just there, you know? Exactly. Uh, and he also says, uh, oh, there's a new Walther. I asked Q to get me one of these. So this is a Walther P99 rather than a PPK. I know jack shit about guns. So forget me in the comments if this is one of those things where it's like, he doesn't know what he's talking about. But what I do know from just this scene alone and me looking into it decades ago at this point of being like, let me do my bond research or whatever. The PPK has seven rounds while the P99 has 16. And the difference being that it's actually like a bigger gun, like the, PBK is described as a pocket pistol, which sounds really sexual. And the P99 is a compact pistol. There's like a two inch difference between the two. And for the next couple of movies, he's going to be using this gun. So this is a, another like switch over of a different era where they're just sort of like, you know what? Bond's not going to use the same gun anymore. We've done that for 17 movies. Some people get a little upset about that. Some people are like, nah, Bond should use the PPK all the time. I actually like the P99 quite a bit. Especially for like a, a Brosnan Bond who shoots a lot. A seven shot thing? How many rounds is this guy going to carry around? You know? Yeah, I mean, I don't, I don't really have like a firm attachment to one gun or the other, really. I don't, I don't feel like it's... Um, I know a lot of people, it's probably quite an integral part of his character. For me, it's just a, a device. So I can take or leave whichever one he uses. At least he's not using that Beretta, right? Oh, yeah, of course. <laughs> well, it turns out General Chang's the one who provided the stealth boat, and uh, they start going off to try to look into some of the stuff with that. She and Bond have a little bit of a back and forth. She calls him a decadent agent of a corrupt Western power. <laughs> uh, after a little bit, uh, they wait, you know, they see that the stealth ship and um, everything that they plan on getting some mines, they're going to either destroy it or at least make it show up on radar. There's a moment that they cut out where originally uh, when the one guy responsible for watching the monitor doesn't see Wei Lin, it just kind of like cuts. And he's just like, you know, what am I paying you for? Kind of a thing. Originally, Stamper yeah. was going to stomp on the guy's head and kill him. And that was going to be why he's called Stamper. Oh, that would have been... I mean, that would have added a bit more to stamp for a little bit. I mean, we already know that he's vindictive and he's... Obviously, because he killed all those people just in a... With just machine gun fire constantly. But, yeah, I think that um, 
that would have added a bit more intensity to his character. That in the snuff film. <laughs> well, I think again, I think we could have done without that. Really. <laughs> uh, Bond stabs a guy, uses him to pretend like he's been shot, so that Stamper thinks that he's got him. I like that bit quite that. a bit. Yeah, I love that bit. Yeah. Anytime that Bond's smart, I like for the most part. Yeah, because he just, he just like he gets the shot in, and then he just like just falls straight into the side of it, and just like, yeah, why doesn't he? Like, I'm not saying why doesn't he do that more often, but it's just a case of first of all, why does Tampa think, wow, that was easy? Yeah. <laughs> He's dead. I just killed him. Just stood right out there, and I just shot him. <laughs> Some banker. <laughs> <laughs> Carver jokes that Bond is sinking into the sea as his new anchor man. <laughs> <laughs> It's so good. But oh, then he God. does some kung fu stuff and goes, hey, 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 uh, and says pathetic. And that perfect. doesn't hold up. <laughs> this is the perfect thing for this guy to do. Uh, for that if character, that, it does, yeah. But if you think that this character, if in a real life situation, like the name that we mentioned earlier, would absolutely do that. Hell, Vince McMahon would absolutely do this. Hell, Vince McMahon has done this. <laughs> I mean, I, I enjoyed that part just because it doesn't hold up, but it doesn't need to because he's the villain. Yeah. Oh, I have I have no problem with it. But then again, I'm not the type of person who really should be speaking on that either because I'm not Asian. So. What, I just don't know why why people would see that as offensive because she, she, she showed she does martial arts. Yeah. Well, it's one of the yeah. things. Anybody gets upset about a lot of things these days. So in some minds and sometimes people are just sort of like ah it's you know that's whatever it's like he's the villain he's an asshole like he's psycho if it's bond doing it then it's really fucking bad you know but yeah, yeah no but it's a case of like it's not like she told us to like lock lock her up and make sure she gets some good sushi or something like that <laughs> <laughs> or some kind of eye joke like they had in uh <laughs> wrestling with the um yeah you know, uh, open up your eyes keep your eyes on the road for the japanese guy and it's like uh <laughs> So much for German efficiency. Bond is still alive, of course. And uh, he rigs up a nice little contraption of this grenade in a glass jar. He um, he holds Gupta up at gunpoint. How many uh, gunpoint notes do you have in this one, Cal? <laughs> it's kind of just that, really. I mean, there's not really that. I mean, it's that and it's the um, the Colfin thing, and that's about it. Really. Yeah. <laughs> not as many as Goldeneye. No. Uh, Bond kills a guy sneaking up, and he says he tuned out for a moment. <laughs> yeah, because he's trying to explain all this stuff yeah. to. I kind of, I kind of like at this point because I, I think we really like explain that he, now that he's explained. This is where he does the big explanation about what his overall goal is. Because when he's talking to, he talks that like, is in cahoots with Chang at this point, and so he's going to use the missile to kill the Chinese leaders that the like the British missile they've stolen to kill basically all of the main powerhouses in Char- in China. Carver is going to take over, but the plan is not to start World War Three. It's to use uh, Chang to essentially render a peace treaty, and in return to that, he gets broadcast rights in China for the next hundred years. And I just really go realistic. Yeah, it's, it's realistic, and it also feels like, oh my god, you're killing all of these people, and you're going to even tease the idea of World War Three starting just so you can get TV in China. Yep. <laughs> Let's go. Fuck this guy. <laughs> <laughs> he talks about uh William Randolph Hearst, the whole like uh, uh, if you provide the pictures, I'll provide the war kind of thing. 
yeah. And and you know, just like he has a hostage, and obviously he's got uh, Carver's got Whalen as a hostage, and so he his like Gutz basically says that the missile's ready to launch. So basically, all they have to do is just flip the switch, and it's gone. And so he goes, "Oh, well, I guess you've uh, outlived your contract, and just <laughs> shoot him in the chest." Adios, like, yes, villains killing villains, bigger villains killing other villains. That's that's what we want to see. So Ricky J, who plays Gupta, is a magician, and for anybody who doesn't know, and he has a skill where he is super good at throwing cards. Like this dude's one of those guys that can chuck a card and like hit a bullseye and get it like, you know, the cards embedded into the target kind of thing, and. Uh, the Henry Gupta part was originally going to be played by a young Indian man, hence the name Gupta, but they decided to just go ahead and make it Ricky J. And they incorporated a scene. There's a deleted scene or two where he's throwing cards, like, uh, in the scene where he's looking at the Tommy James, so you still sleep with a gun under your pillow. He's just like practicing his card throwing and he was going to throw cards at bond for an action sequence. And it would make no sense in this movie if they did that. I think that could have worked really, really well in a different movie. And it's a shame that they didn't figure out a way to do that in something else. Because I like Ricky J as Gupta, just as he is. But I also would have liked him being a card-throwing, gimmicky guy in some kind of casino scene in a movie or something. I, maybe not necessarily Casino Royale, but like... You know, if there would have been like a Bond has an action sequence in a casino and some guy there is like a, a card shark type of dude and he's throwing cards or something, that could have been really cool. Would have made no sense for the techno-terrorism guy. <laughs> you know? No. I, I mean, I assume there's other people. I think it'd be a good thing to add in future. I'm sure there's other people that do the card throwing. Uh, skill as well so maybe they can bring that back bring the idea at least back with someone else in a future movie totally think that they should do that at some point I'm sure they'll get to it unless the the franchise were to end and I don't see that happening because it makes money and as we've established in this movie money is everything Uh, maybe they do a crossover with Gambit in the X-Men film Bond triggers the grenade. That gives them enough of an explosion to show up on the radar. Bunch of bang, bang, pow, pow. You know uh, how this goes. Or out in uh, Waylon's case, say for, saying for some reason, yeah, when she fires her machine gun. Doesn't everybody? It, like, yeah, is like the you know, like I'm gonna kick you. Well. Yeah, that she's more versed in combat like that. Maybe she just thought this is what everybody does whenever <laughs> you're making any kind of attack. I I always hated that. I don't like the slow motion shots that are random here and there either. This isn't my favorite like ending uh, action sequence of a series by any means. No, it's it's, it's not the it's not it's not the best. I think it's a little bit too. Like there's a lot of slow motion in this. I think that there's um I, I, I like the fact that when she realizes she's pretty much out of bullets when she's cornered by everyone else, she shoots she's smart enough to shoot the pipes 
and use that as a way of like escaping, just cloud out everything else while Bond is well Bond at this point is pretty much like dead. Well he's he's as I say presumed dead, but he's trapped under a load of rubble. And they just I think Stamford tries to go after him, but they basically just everyone's abandoning ship. So it's not really like a big action sequence. It's basically just the things they're doing with Waylin and Bond is hiding for the time being, trying to get in a good position. There's uh when I when I I think it, one of, probably one of the weakest deaths as far as execution overall. Bond says he has some breaking news for Carver, and that he forgot the first rule of mass media: give the people what they want. And he holds Carver in place, but then is able to move out of the way of the drill while Carver just stands there and is like, no, and gets torn up by the drill and dies. Why didn't he just move? Because because he's, he's a villain, you know. <laughs> Listen, if they, if they didn't do this, then that scene in Austin Powers would never have happened. And so I'm totally, <laughs> I'm totally fine with that being the case. Did Austin Powers come before this? It might have. No, this. I mean, this is '97. I thought first Austin Powers was. Oh, was first Austin Powers in '97 or is it '99? First Austin Powers is in '97, so I think the first Austin Powers might have come out by now. Okay. But I, I still think, well, the, the trope exists for a reason, and I feel like it's just that the guy is just stuck there, and you just like at that point you can either you can either run or you just completely panic, and that's what he does. And then I I do like the. The, the cycle essentially the fact that that was the first thing you kind of saw in the movie of them drilling through the ship with that thing and then that's the thing that eventually kills him as well so i like there's like a um there's a thread attached to that so I, I thought it was awesome that's my favorite villain death because i just love the line of you've got the first rule gotta give the people what they want and he's gonna scream and his screams kind of get drowned out by the grinding of this machine. I just like it. The, Very... my, my second pass of the movie rewrite type of thing, I think this should have been Stamper's death. I think that Stamper should have been tied up or something to immobilize him so that's why he can't move. And Carver should have had a more ironic death than the drill. I don't know exactly what that would be. I'd have to actually sit and think about it, but like, I don't like, uh, I don't like Stamper's death at all. And I kind of feel like if, if you could do a swap and do something else, cause Stamper's like, again, he's no selling everything. Like Bond stabs him and nothing. And well, that's, that's, that's the, um, the big meat, the muscle head, uh, henchman does. So then I think that with him being like, you know, you can stab him and stab him and stab him and nothing happens, but the drill's going to, you know, that's a, a thing that's going to cut him up and kill him. I think that's a good way to do that. Well, well to be fair, his, his death does take a lot of doing where he just like he's stabbing and he's fighting Bond on top of this missile. And I think you need to have Stamper there because it's not like Carver is going to hang up Waylin and drop her into like have her all chained up and dropping into the thing. So I think you need to have the more physical, the two of them, to do that side of it. And but I like the fact that like he gets his foot trapped and gets the missile exhaust. Um, like Stamper grabs Bond before he can fall into the water. So like Bond is just dangling there, 
and so they're basically both he basically he's accepted the fact that okay we're both gonna die right now because this missile's gonna go and i'm gonna die but i've got you holding here as well so you're gonna go at the same time so he manages to cut his way through his own uses i I just love the fact he pulls the knife out of stamper just pulls it out of his um whether it was was his chest or something like that and just use it to cut himself and he gets down there just in time for the missile to go up and burn you see it burning through his foot before it just explodes i think think that's an epic enough death for him stamper is low on my uh on my henchman list yeah he's not the best Blonde, menacing villain. <laughs> uh, Bond falls into the water, gives Waylon mouth to mouth, share some oxygen because you know that totally works. And um... <laughs> he's spilling carbon dioxide into her mouth. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> it's like, dude, you have a rebreather. We saw it in Thunderball, and we'll see it again. Um, good piano rendition of Surrender in this. Again, pay attention to the music, everybody. Watch the movie with the isolated track. It's just this very calm. Okay, people are dead. Bong, 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 bong. To, to be bong, clear, bong. why don't you tell the people what version of the film they'll have to buy so they can watch it with the isolated track? Because you mentioned this a few times. It's on it's- both the DVD and the uh, the box set Blu-ray. I think it might be on like pretty much all of them. Okay, I would good. say get get the the Bond anniversary box set thing because it comes with every movie except for Spectre. But um, yeah, it's I mean somebody might have uploaded it online too. Either way, if you download the soundtrack, you you buy the CD, whatever it might be, you, you get the eight track. <laughs> it's just the music's so good, and we're back to an old trope of uh, bond and the girl in the ocean floating on something while the HMS Bedford is searching for them. And bond has to do a quip of uh, they're searching for us and whatever. And he says, well, let's stay undercover. And that takes us to the end credits with the full theme of surrender. Uh, Your life is a story I've already written. All that love the lyrics in that one too. Great song. And she's belting it out too. Tomorrow never dies. Surrender. It's so good. Ah, oh, I love the music in this. Yeah, Katie Lang, top notch. Well, I have two other notes that I uh, I didn't get around to saying that I I have a note about. Put this elsewhere. Um, early drafts of uh, the characters. The Elliot Carver name was Elliot Harmsway. <laughs> a little too on the nose, I think. And Wei Lin was Lin Pao. Yeah, that, yeah that's not good yeah. for me. <laughs> I'm glad that. I'm glad uh, that's not going to look for it anyway. <laughs> you, know, you know how that would work? Because it's like, if it's Elliot Harms Wei, then the quip at the end when he's in the drill is he said, sorry, I had to put you in Harms Wei. Right, yeah. <laughs> oh, but we would have loved that, though. No, that would have been great. Yeah. Or they would have been like, how do we get a pun with Elliot? <laughs> I mean, they could have done something with Carver with the thing going through him. Right. And uh, the other note that I have down is uh, Gotts Otto. I don't know if I'm pronouncing that correctly. It's probably you know some German flair to it. The one who had uh, gotten the role of Stamper. When he was auditioning for it, they said, you have 20 seconds to introduce yourself. And he said, I'm big, I'm bad, I'm bald, I'm German. Five seconds. Keep the rest. 
<laughs> I want to hire him too. I'd hire Brian. Yeah, I'd be like, <laughs> the ball's on this dude. All right. <laughs> well, we're looking for a big, bad German guy. He's big, he's bad. He's German. He gave us five seconds. Yeah. Yeah, five extra seconds. <laughs> Uh, right there. Yeah. Uh, he doesn't settle things in a gypsy way either, too. So, <laughs> so I, that's the movie. I want to point out M saying at the end, I let the papers know it's oh, right. though he's killed himself. Because, again, realism, it really makes you question so much, especially after the year we've all had. This movie was fantastic because it shed light on the real seedy underbelly of the world. And I enjoyed this more because of it. Listen, I like Kananga, but also people don't inflate and fly up in the air and burst, you know? It's like... They might. (laughs) Well, you never know. Like This film could actually happen in real life. And I think, for that reason, it's been one of the best. This, uh, I'll go through and I'll go with our rankings when, when we're done with this. But let's um, let's backtrack with our our groups of our things that we do here: um, action and humor. I think they're thumbs up on both, for yeah, sure. Yeah, pretty good. Music. You've seen alone for humor. Uh, yeah. yeah, I think I think the action's a bit weak in places. Like some of the stunt work and some of the, the especially the production side of things, is, uh, lets it down in areas. I think the humor is fantastic in this movie. Music, I can't stop gushing about it. So of course I give it a thumbs down. No, I'm just. Kidding. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, thumbs well, up as well. I, I think this was the movie that you gushed about the music the most. You love the music here. It's so good, David Arnold. I, I'm going to talk about music for well, it's not enough too. Um, and not as much about Dino today, but <laughs> it's not entirely his fault. Um, I, DeMar Never Dies and Surrender, both great themes. Love how he incorporates Surrender throughout the music. Check out that soundtrack, everybody. Major, major thumbs up. On the gadgets side of things, we've got the cigarette lighter bomb. The phone with the taser, the fingerprint scanner, and the remote control. The car with all sorts of fancy gadgets. Bond's new Walther. All the stuff in Wayland's supply area. You know, the fan, the watch, the flamethrower statue. Whatever that thing is that pops out. Thumbs up on my end. Mm-hmm. Big thumbs up. Big thumbs up. On the allies, we got Money Penny, M, right. Q, Bill Tanner is not in this one, but we got Charles Robinson, we got Jack Wade, and we got Admiral Roebuck, and we got technically, I guess, that uh, Russian dude, but not really. Um, and this doesn't count Wayland, but you know, we'll get to her. Um, Robinson doesn't do much in this, but I've always really liked Robinson. Yeah, he was, he was fine. He's serviceable in his role. I can better in the next one. The core people of M, Money Penny, and Q have never been better, never been stronger. Thumbs up all the way. I like the little bit of Jack Wade, but I like it better in Goldeneye. Yeah, I think you I think he was obviously more pronounced in Goldeneye, but I like the fact that he makes a return in this one. Yeah. And Roebuck is 
good for being one of those like you know stuffy kind of guys. I, th- I think you need that. Sometimes need that antag- antagonistic ally, the one that does things a certain way because he doesn't trust either M or Bond's methods. The bean counters and all that. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Yeah. Well, he, he's like someone who just like I I just use force. I'm 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 an admiral. That's all I know. Type thing. Yeah. Uh, on the girls, we got Paris Carver, Wei Lin, Professor Bergstrom. Uh, the professor is really nothing other than, hey, she's hot, you know, that kind of thing. But, yeah, she's, she's the Caroline of the last movie, so. Yeah. Caroline, the character, not my fiance, for anybody who's wondering. <laughs> I mean, you don't know. Yeah. <laughs> she, uh, I don't know if she knows some Danish. She might. <laughs> might have time. to pump her for some information. <laughs> <laughs> I would have been disappointed if you didn't say that. <laughs> thumbs up on the girls. Wayland yeah. kicks ass. Carver is great. Should have been the main. And Professor is hot. Yeah, no problems with the uh, Bond girls and this side of things. I think they could have expanded, hopefully would have expanded more on Wayland's character and build a bit more of a rapport between her and Bond if they'd have given the movie a bit more time. But overall, I think it was it was a strong trio. Or strong duo, and then one for just the pure sex appeal side of it. But it almost seems like they hook up at the end just because. Yeah. Mm. Waylon is not as high up on my list. She's not by any means like, um, you know, lower than like, I don't know. She's above like Kissy Suzuki, for instance, because Kissy's just like, oh, I guess you'll be the Bond girl for the rest of the movie and just be in a bikini and hang around. But Waylon, it's kind of the opposite case of Tiffany Case for me, where the first half of the movie of Diamonds Are Forever, I really, really like Tiffany Case, and then she becomes an idiot, and then she's awful, and I really, really like half of Waylon. She's able to hold her own in a fight and everything, but she and Bond don't have chemistry, and she doesn't have the sex appeal part of it in the same way. Of course, not every character has to have that, but you know. And she just doesn't, like, I can't imagine ever being, like, on my list of my favorite types of Bond girls that Waylon matches up with, even, say, like, Pam. I think Pam has a much better, I'm an agent of sorts, and I'm also going to have more character. So, I think they should have called an audible and not had bond hook up with her or just like even put in another woman maybe even more of a case for the carver thing because i don't understand why okay it's the trope but this character was built to kick ass and just kind of take advantage of the booming uh kung fu movies that were kind of surfacing again Crashing so, Tiger and all. Yeah, like, just have her do that. I mean, I I, I agree to an extent just because, like I said, they didn't have the strong chemistry and it feels like it's a little bit just tacked on in the end. I will say that at least the benefit of that is that they probably just hooked up a couple of times and then Bond moved on. Like, there's no, there's no like, thing of, like, oh, what happened to the last girl in the previous movie? It's more just a case of, oh, they probably just fucked because they felt like it, and then they just moved on afterwards. Adrenaline's pumping. (laughs) Yeah. Um, For uh, the 
rankings of those kind of things. I've currently got Paris in the number 12 spot. Um, 11 if you don't count Money Penny, because Money Penny is kind of hard to rank. And I've got Waylon at the 19 spot. Uh, Waylon at the moment, and I, I do keep adjusting these here and there. So sometimes when you're listening to an older podcast, it might be like, oh, this this person actually went above or whatever. Waylon for me right now is below May Day and above Tiffany. And Paris is below... Actually, I should put her above um, Solitaire there. Uh, Paris is above Solitaire and below Natalia. Although, to a certain extent, kind of like her a little bit more than Natalia, too. It's kind of, you know, it could change here and there. I see that uh, Callum's adjusting his list right now a little bit. around a little bit. So I put Waylon at 11, which don't count money, Penny. And then I have Paris at 14. So Just under close. Aki. Yeah. I, do, I, do, I, I, I wish they did more with Aki. Yeah. Maybe. It's really a shame that they did the whole Kissy Suzuki thing. Yeah. But I think um, I think they're both, the fact that they're both that close together and they're in the same movie, I think is a sign that they were both very strong. And then we've got the villains of the movie. We got uh, Dr. Kaufman, Richard Stamper, which they never say his name's Richard, but that's his name. Uh, Henry Gupta and Elliot Carver. So henchman side of things, Stamper, Kaufman, and Gupta. I am pretty low on Stamper. I've got him between high fat and low fat. <laughs> uh, Chang, or Chang from uh, Moonraker. Because to me, I don't care about Stamper. Like, if you're going to give me a guy that really doesn't have a whole lot of personality, at least give him a funny enough or interesting enough gimmick, like Tihi or Mishka and Grishka, or make it a, a better actor like Dario with Benicio del Toro. Stamper's pretty low for me. He's only, um, he's at the number 29 spot out of 36. The only people that are lower than him for me are Chang, Kriegler, Scarpine, Sandor, Osato, Naomi, and Vargas. Yeah, I would, I would, um, as, as kind of like an overall thing, I'd, I'd say that Stamper is, he's not the greatest, but I think he's serviceable in the role. So I wouldn't say he was a, like a total negative. Like, I like the a, a few bits of the deadpan humor that he throws into it. Like, um, like especially the thing where he talks about like Kaufman's torture weapons and saying that he wants to to break the record and stuff like that. I just I think I think he's fine. Yeah. Yeah. Just adjusting my uh my rankings here for the mm. music and the uh, I thought you were, I was like, I don't remember you seeing a, a henchman rankings. Good <laughs> is good. Gupta's in my middle range. He's uh, currently between Mr. Wint and Mr. Kid and Mishka and Grishka. The hell of a five-some. Jeez. Uh, <laughs> I, I don't want to see the scene where <laughs> Gupta's between Mr. Wint and Mr. Kid. <laughs> <laughs> but I like Gupta. The playing card to get out of that one. <laughs> yeah. Um, I like Gupta. He's just like, uh, you know, he's he's a tech guy, but I like him. He's cool. Yeah. 
the real standout though for the henchman is uh, Kaufman. So fun, so much fun. Just love yeah. thing. He's he's everything about villain should be. In one scene, he does enough that he's ranked. The only people I have ranking above him are people that are like major, major henchmen. Odd job, Mayday, you know, Nick like uh, Jaws, Irma Bunt. Like, but Kaufman's above Teehee, for instance, where Teehee's in much, much more of the movie, but in the grand scheme of things, Kaufman just, he's so damn cool in that scene. And then you got uh, Elliot Carver, who is around the middle range for me. He's in that same sort of spectrum as Goldfinger and Zorin and Drax, where the crazy megalomaniac type is not going to match up with like Blofeld or Sanchez or Scaramanga or anything. But Carver's got some cool parts to him. I'm certainly putting him above like Orlov and Largo and Kamal Khan and Dr. No. Yeah, I have him um, sat at number seven. So overall, I think he's he's very good. He's like the insane megalomaniac uh, villain that you kind of want to have for these type of things. Poses no physical threat to Bomb, but he doesn't need to. And his scheme made sense. And the fact that it was all just to get more publicity and ratings makes him even more despisable than some of the other villains. So, so yeah, I think I think seven's good for him. Uh, I have him ranked fourth, I believe. Yeah, yeah, fourth. He's easily one of my favorites. One of the best because he's so relatable. His plot fits the world right now, so it hit me different. I only have him underneath Goldfinger, who is just iconic and is always going to stay in that top range. Scaramanga, who might end up going back to number one just because I loved that movie. But then there's Sanchez. Sanchez was also a very believable scumbag. So these four are either iconic or very believable. And Carver, man, this plot of this movie was, I can't say it enough. Very relatable, very real. What a scumbag. So I haven't done our full rankings. I'm trying to do that at the moment right now about um, the villain rankings because we've got enough of those where we could do the math behind them. Um, I don't know if you guys want to try to knock that out or something. It seems like Carver probably would end up being somewhere around the number six or seven ranking, possibly maybe number eight based off of some of these. I know that for instance, we all like pretty Sanchez much have one Sanchez most likely ended to be a number one. Uh, Dr. No is not going to be high up. I've got him at 17. Rob's got him at 22, the very bottom. And uh, Calum's got him at 19. So, like, uh, some of those are like that. Maybe by the time that we do the next one, I'll I'll have that figured out. Yeah. The Diamonds of Forever Blofeld will be very low down because me and Tony both have him at the bottom and Rob's saving him by pushing him up to 19, to 18. Crazy. <laughs> Diamonds is a weird movie, man. Uh, yeah, he mathematically is lower than Doctor No, for instance. At least right yeah, now, there's so probably, two of the other probably ones. Be the worst one, though. yeah. And I've got like uh, the Honor, Majesty, Secret Service version of Blofeld, uh, pretty low too. Um, I have him at six, though. So. But you've got him at six, so he's going to balance out in a weird way. Um, it's looking like, at the very least, 
Sanchez, Scaramanga are going to be number one and number two. And then... Goldfinger then... probably rounds out about... I know Callum's got him real low. Not real low, but middle yeah. of the road. It might be Blofeld from From Rush With Love, since I have him at one, you've got him at six, Callum's got him at nine. It might just kind of work out that way. Goldfinger's somewhere in the mix of yeah, middle range kind of thing. We're definitely, like... Some of them definitely fall into that. Some of them are all over the place. Cristados is pretty low. He's second to worst for two lists and fourth to worst on uh, Callum's, I think. Yeah, number 18 on that. So that'll be kind of interesting, too, because there's a, there's a wide range of villains where you go from, like, the not a physical threat or that they're just the megalomaniac or they're, um, you know somebody who's uh, sophisticated and somebody who's uh, a mobster type and somebody who's whatever. And we've all got it all over the place. Where's a, where's a clip on some of these lists? So Rosa's uh, 11 and 11. And then for me, she's number six. So she might end up being somewhere around that, like six, seven, something range. I don't know. Um, actually, we might end up having some of the answers to this right now. Cause uh, you guys are, I'm in on this and uh, quickly, but you guys can keep talking about other stuff because it'll, it'll take a while. I'll uh, I'll be helping in uh, while we're doing this too. But um, Carver is one of those guys that I can see the benefit for having him in almost any type of movie. Like I like that type of a villain. Some of them I like a little bit more, and that's why I have him in that middle range. I will ultimately go more for a Goldfinger or a Zorin than a Carver, but I'm going to make a case for Carver being above Largo or above way above Stromberg. Like I'm, I'm not big on Stromberg at all. He's pretty low. He's uh, my third to worst. So mathematically, we've got some of the answers figured out already. We know that uh, guaranteed Sanchez is number one. It's looking like at this point. Um, And it seems like that, it's going to kind of follow through and we'll figure that out. And we'll tell you next time how that all works out. Um, the thumbs up when it comes to the villains, I think is all around, right? Yep. Yeah, definitely. Uh, I go thumbs down on stamper, but the rest of them thumbs up. And then that's, uh, the whole breakdown of that. So it's just a rating shaken stirred. So shaken. Super, super shaken. This, so this movie, Callum's got it. Callum bumped it up even more. Holy shit, Callum Callum did not have that at number two last time I saw it. (laughs) Callum's got it at number two. Wow. I, I, like I said, I adored that first hour. I thought it's the best hour of any Bond movie so far. And then when I went back over the second half, I I did have quibbles with it, which was like, a, a few issues which bumped it down a bit but overall it's still like st- still some really good action sequences still a lot of fun i think the, the thing that let it down is just the relationship with between bond and Waylon isn't particularly strong but overall it's still like a really well put together movie and the difference between this and goldeneye at least from my perspective is that i don't think this leaves anything on the table with the goldeneye thing one of my bigger criticisms was due to the fact that I don't think they explored the relationship with between Bond and Trevelyan enough. And so I think it was missing. Like there was a big portion of the movie that I felt was just missing or just wasn't explored deeply enough to make it satisfying. 
this, you have the plot laid out, and it basically, I think it fulfills pretty much everything you would want out of the plot of this movie. Just, it doesn't leave any stone really unturned too much, besides maybe exploring, building up more of a rapport between Waylon and Bond. But outside of that, I just feel like the plot is there's this megamaniac that's trying to um, secure more TV rights in China and make himself a millionaire and the most sought after name on planet Earth. And he's going to use like the threat of World War Three to do it. And I think, yeah, that just that that makes sense. And this is the way that I'd assume this story would go to end up that way. So really, really satisfied with this entire this the entire thing that happened in this second best movie for me right now. So, so Rob just uh, moved his rankings around a little bit, and in doing so, you just shot up the man with the golden gun more so than Tomorrow Never Dies, actually. I, I know. That was my intention. Uh, before, before that happened, the rankings uh, for the top five, five, top six, I should say, um, were GoldenEye, License to Kill, Tomorrow Never Dies, The Man with the Golden Gun, The Living Daylights, Goldfinger. And by moving around, Tomorrow Never Dies, The Man with the Golden Gun, and Goldfinger, I think mathematically now, GoldenEye is number one. And then I think The Man with the Golden Gun is number yeah, two. Yeah. And it's then true. we get a tie License with to License to Kill and Tomorrow, Tomorrow Never Dies, Dies which... There's two votes for License to Kill being number two, so that outranks Tomorrow Never Dies. Mm. And then The Living Daylights, I think. 5.6 is our number for that, so... Yeah. 5.6 and then Goldfinger, yeah. So now the rankings are currently from bottom to top. Diamonds are forever. <laughs> uh, Doctor No, You Only Live Twice, For Your Eyes Only, Octopussy, Live and Let Die, A View to a Kill, The Spy Who Loved Me, From Russia With Love, Moonraker, On Her Majesty's Secret Service, Thunderball, Goldfinger, which went from, at one point, it was the number one spot, and now it's gotten down to number six. Uh, the Living Daylights, Twine Never Dies, License to Kill, The Man with the Golden Gun, and Goldeneye. So reflection is important. Because I had Goldfinger up there for a while, but I kept saying, you know what? I really like the man with the golden gun a lot more. So I switched that around, and I think Tomorrow Never Dies is perfect at number four right now. Spoiler, probably will only end up being number five. But, you know. These films are great. <laughs> Some of these, like, what can you say? Some of these films are really, really good, and... Tomorrow Never Dies, one of the best. It's so interesting that that's how that kind of uh, conversation's going, too, because a lot of people really don't like Tomorrow Never Dies. I've always seen that it's kind of one of those movies that it's not perfect, but there's a lot of it to really like. Kind of like the theme song. A lot of people are like, ah, oh, this is like one of the garbage things. And I'm like, no, I like this song. What's wrong with it? You know, just because it's not Goldfinger doesn't mean that it it's bad, you know? So I'm glad to see the Tomorrow Never Dies get some love. Very interested to see if some of that love translates over to the next one, because I think there's some good stuff in the next one that gets overlooked by some admittedly bad stuff. <laughs> the next one's got some flaws, too, you know. And but, Christmas is coming early. Yeah, that's <laughs> very true. <laughs> and, um, you know, obviously we'll be breaking that down when it comes to this. Uh, we're all giving this shaken. It's one of the movies that I can more easily just pop on and watch. And that's uh, why I give it 
high enough score to be in that kind of range. It's Is it not also just coming to like we're in an era now where we know what movies are and like these kind of line up with our idea of what a movie like this should be. Eventually we get to die another day. Oh. Yeah. And then it becomes, damn it, I just can't forgive this surfing sequence kind of thing and all that, like, you know. So for anybody that thinks that we're going down this rabbit hole of like, oh, they only like the action-y ones, stay tuned. We're gonna I'm gonna rip Quantum of Solace apart in some <laughs> some circumstances. Um but yeah, that's uh that's current theme songs uh rankings. Oh, I didn't say that about what that was. Uh the current theme song rankings are actually we don't have that for tomorrow dies. Where did you rank that? Um Rob, you have that at number six. Okay. So some of the theme song things are kind of all over the place here um, because I've been ranking every single song. So I've got things that are like um, all time high is number 19 to me. Whereas Callum only has 17 things on his list. So that kind of, you know, it's like one of those sort of deals. Yes. Like I put surrender on my list because I heard it and uh, maybe maybe I should just go back and listen to all the extra themes and rank them. Wouldn't hurt. But uh, for right now, it's looking like Tomorrow Never Dies would be somewhere in the in the top range, actually. So I mean, we got me and Rob I've have it at six, and you have it at ten. So, so license to kill. So is I guess that averages 10. out to a. A um a nine point six seven so oh, I've got it at nine. Um, oh, you have it at nine now. Yeah. Oh, oh yeah. Oh yeah. I was looking at it the wrong way down. Yeah. We have it at six. You have it at nine. Yeah. So yeah. So yeah. That's, that's a seven. Seven. Yeah. seven. Um, a kill and the living daylights are both at uh, an average of two, and then we've got Goldfinger at four point three. I think or is Diamonds Are Forever above that? Where's Diamonds Are Forever? That's three point three. It's Diamonds then Goldfinger. GoldenEye is at a 6.6, so that's still above it. And then You Only Live Twice is... Where is You Only Live Twice here? Uh, 7.6667. So Uh, Tomorrow Never Dies ahead of that. I've got the average for that coming out to a 9. Because I've got Uh, it... I got it at 10. Uh, You, Callum, have it at uh, 5. I haven't played it yet. Yeah, I already went and I see what might be happening because I went and ranked both Surrender and also The World Is Not Enough. So that'll probably shake out better uh, when Callum ranks The World. I've song. definitely got some kind of a thing here. I had, for some reason, I had Nobody Does It Better at 12 for Rob's list. What is number 12 oh. on your list then? Oh, you switched around The Man with the Golden Gun or something. It is because I switched around uh, Nobody Does It Better higher because that song grew on me. For reasons we'll talk about next week. So then nobody does it better. Actually, just go up there a little bit. Um, wait, why do we have you only live twice and you only nobody does it better on here? We got some kind of a glitch going on here with this list. <laughs> Somewhere around this range, uh, tomorrow never dies looks like it's above you only live twice. So um, let's get rid of you only live twice and do nobody does better at seven point three. I think is what it is right now. Um, we might have to double check some of these things later on, but yeah, tomorrow never dies. At least we'll figure this out for guaranteed for the next time. It seems like it's probably around that six or seven range. So 
Keep that in mind, everybody. That's our current rankings. And again, I will show you at the end of this whole thing what our full breakdown is. So I know that on the audio portion of things, it's kind of hard to understand like that. We'll see it. We'll show a visual at some point. Um, and yeah, that's uh, Smart Over Dice. Let's uh, round things out with some plugs. As I mentioned before, head up to Patreon, show your support in whatever way you can. Follow and subscribe and like things and share things and do all that stuff. Check out all the other things uh, that are happening on this channel. Bump up the watch time if you want to help out with that. We are recording this on the 7th of May. So you're listening to this sometime either in the end of May or beginning of June. Hopefully everything is safe and everybody's good and everything like that. Uh, I, of course, have lots of other things that are in the works from Fanboys Anonymous and Smart Out Moment. So just keep staying tuned to those two channels and see what we've got that's already up and it's been happening in the meantime that I might not even be aware of 100%. And um, you can follow me at Tony Mango on social media and you can follow what these guys have going on on their social medias as well. Callum? Yeah. Okay. Go Sorry, Rob. Right. <laughs> oh, I guess I'll You're go. so desperate. I'll let you go ahead. Oh, yeah. It's like I want to get the usual shit out of the way. So, Fightful.com, WrestleZone.com, if you are so inclined for the wrestling side of things, that's where you can find me all day, every day. Follow me on Twitter and every other platform at DudeVelice. Check out everything we've got going on on Fanboys. I know we're going to do a Scooby-Doo watch along. I know I'm sure some movies will come out where we'll end up talking about that. We're going to talk about Falcon and Winter Soldier at some point. So just stay tuned to this channel and all the others, and thank you for your support. And now I pass you over to Callum Wiggins. Yeah, so again, on the wrestling side of things, check out smartcomo.com, all the great articles, the weekly stuff, especially the power rankings, because that's what I contribute, but make sure you're checking out all the other stuff as well. On the Smart Cow Moment YouTube channel or the podcast feeds, if you want to uh, head over to uh, one of the playlists, you can listen to either 2001 Arresting Odyssey or the Paul Heyman Smackdown podcast if you're a fan of wrestling. In between 2001 and 2003, if that's like the sweet spot for you, then me and Rob are covering, well, have covered all that stuff, and we'll be doing more retro content in the future. But for now, that's all you get. And you can follow me on Twitter at Weekmaster14. All right, so 18 movies down the line. We still have a couple more left to go, and that means that James Bond and the Review to a Kill podcast will return with The World Is Not Enough. (laughs) 